0: Tonight's episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club is brought to you by Drew Estate. Come experience the rebirth of cigars at www.drewestate.com and download the free Drew Diplomat smartphone app today to discover nearby retailers, RSVP to special events, redeem points to win exclusive Drew Estate merchandise, and much, much more. Good evening, brothers and sisters of the Leaf. Coming to you live once again from, well, all over the fucking place. It's the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Tonight the boys congregate via live video. Thanks, coronavirus, you giant asshole. To continue their sixth annual March to Halloween horrific drinking spooktacular extravaganza. Or some crazy shit like that. Anywho... Our favorite crew of scary drunks will be discussing the 1992 horror sequel, Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice, while smoking the Between the Line Cigar from Arturo Fuente paired with a terrifying amount of tasty craft beverages. It sounds like he who drinks all the beers will be very pleased with this episode, folks. So sit back, light them up, and enjoy the show. Oh, that's good welcome
1: everyone out there on itunes or youtube or the utunes or the itube however the hell you choose to join us every other tuesday <laughs> speaking utunes of, uh, huh utunes i think that's what the kids
2: u-tunes. are utunes uh, i'm
3: an, I- I an myself
1: and speaking of uh, youtube one of the many downsides, many, many downsides, we don't need to get into all of them, of the pandemic this year is that while we were quarantined at home for six plus months, me and the, me and the girls, my oldest daughter, grew an affinity for watching YouTube videos, uh, specifically gamer channels. Uh-oh. Uh, after her chores were done, she went just sitting around watching these all day. I want to make sure I... Good parent. Yeah. yeah. But she'd get a little time. She 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 got she got hooked on these gaming channels where basically these uh online personalities demonstrate to their millions and millions of viewers. Seriously, these goobers have almost as much reach on YouTube as the Tuesday Night Cigar Club, and that's impressive. Uh millions of people watch these these goobers where they show folks how to play video games, they give insider tips, but it's all while you watch them just play video games. Yeah. Like, like the screen is their video game screen and you just listen to their voice. It's the damnedest thing. I don't know. I know I sound like an old fucker right now oh. bitching about these young whippersnappers and their iTubes their and their their, their tunes but... One of these mouth-breathing corn cobs that she watches regularly, again when her chores are done, I can't remember the guy's name, but he calls everybody like as he's gaming, Buster. Like, get over here, you Buster. Hey, Buster. Sounds cool. And so she's she started calling us all Buster. Like, ah. hey, Buster. Hey, Buster. Can I get a glass of milk? No. Thanks, Buster. Thanks, Buster. And so while we were quarantined, it, it it was just a natural thing. I started talking that way too because this little person that lives with me was talking that way. It just became a thing, and everyone in the house started calling each other Booster. <laughs> so now that we're going out a little bit, you know, I'm still not eating out in restaurants or anything, but I'm you know I'll go occasionally to the grocery store or you know grab some food <laughs> or whatever. Dude, twice this week. Monday, I was at the grocery store in the self checkout lane, and they always put the old guy working the self checkout because he just has to sit there and, like, if something goes wrong, he can help you out or whatever. I get my groceries, and he's like, Have a good day. I was like, You too, Buster. (laughs) And I I
2: walked out. I'm like,
1: like, Oh my God. He probably thought I was making fun of him, like, for an old guy. (laughs) Yeah. YouTube booster. And then I tell the family, they think it's hilarious. I'm like, no, it could have been really embarrassing if the guy wasn't 100 years old. Next day, I'm picking up something, I'm picking up some drinks at the Sonic drive in. And this young kid, high school kid, brings me my drinks and I give him his, his dollar tip. By the way, side note, always tip your Sonic car hops, they make shit money and they're having to roller skate around with those masks on and the heat. Just give them a dollar, for God's sake. So I give the kid a dollar, and he's like, Thank you, sir. Have a very blessed day. And I was like, You're welcome, Buster.
4: <laughs> I gotta stop that.
1: Yeah. I'm just not going to go out anymore until I can like go like a full month without saying it at the house. Um, I don't know what's happening to me, boys, but I don't like it. You think uh, if I
3: were to hook up my old Super Nintendo that I could yes. get a bunch of YouTube's followers yes. by playing True Lies and, and uh, Super Tennis and so forth? Yes. Yes. You would be down in the corner
4: square with your headset on and your little mic? I mean, what? Dude, what is this? 2013? They had this whole. No. Like seven years ago, Twitch came out. I mean, it's a whole platform dedicated to nothing but gamers live streaming their games
1: i think the doctor could go gangbusters on there it's a it's a huge Why not? thing they sell merch the guy's got buster shirts
4: dude you get you get uh subscriptions i mean people actually subscribe to watch these people uh they get donations yeah, like, like right there in live you get the little ding ding and they're like hey thanks buster i mean yeah if you I'm donate money,
1: if you donate money, they'll play with you in an online game and like give you a shout out. Yeah, it's it's like a crazy, insane, demented world that. Uh, it's
4: not demented. I like it, and I'm part of that world. Well,
1: unlike Todd, I basically hate YouTube now, which sucks because that's how we've reached almost two million people watching the Tuesday Night Cigar Club on that particular platform. So what the hell am I gonna do? I don't know, no Buster. Uh, welcome busters enough of that uh buster talk welcome busters to the tuesday night cigar club of episode
4: 124 one more we're done oh it's the magic number we are done That's you know it? i think we should i think we should do another 125 we deserve it uh you know they tried to take 120 i think they tried to take the singleman episode away from us uh yeah it's gone
1: all right we'll do a couple. we'll do at least 100 more how's that Uh, I can commit to 100 more. Tonight, we continue our legendary, our infamous 6th Annual March to Halloween Horrific Drinking Spooktacular Extravaganza. Mm. Or some shit like that. uh, Where we treat you to a terror-filled smorgasbord of carefully selected horror films to lead you right up until the big day itself, October 31st. Y'all ready to get your spookies on?
4: Oh, heck, yeah. My favorite time it's of year. Days. Weather starts getting a little bit better, and it's just nice. Is this, is this we unanimous? have to enjoy it. We're going to have our two weeks
2: of fall here.
1: Yes. In Central Texas, we get exactly 10 days of fall, and it's it's just glorious. Is is this unanimous? Is this all of our favorite times of year?
2: It is.
4: Is that? Uh, I even like it better than March. March is usually my favorite, but, man, I love Brand- this time better.
1: I, weather-wise, in Texas, anywhere we are, I tend to like February and March better. I like the
0: colder weather better.
4: You, still you, hear, the, you hear the sound of those marching bands starting to kick their drums up. You hear the sound of the football crowd starting to get in. Baseball is entering its championships. I mean, the weather is dropping. Oktoberfest, come on. And then hey. You get the spookies and you get the hey. fun October. Oh, it's beautiful like it. time. Doctor, are you on board with all this?
3: These are all wonderful things. If I wasn't suffering from a crippling pandemic depression, uh, these would all be fantastic things. We're going to pull you out of it tonight, Doc. Did you take those meds that I prescribed you? Not the ones that you prescribed me, but I have taken some medication. Okay. I really shouldn't talk about it for legal purposes.
4: Okay. Understood. Understood. Uh, take my hand doc take my hand we're going to pull you out of this we're going to drag you out of this you're going to be so happy by the end of the night and you're going to have so much beer flowing like joy going through you oh it's going to be great
3: uh, you know if you if only you didn't start sounding like Jimmy Swaggart I was really believing (laughs) I was going to reach into the darkness to take your hand
1: well, boys, uh, Doctor, you are going to be in a much better mood two and a half hours from now. Uh, tut, you're going to be in a much better mood two and a half hours from now. Yak Boy's always in a good mood, so I do not he's got nothing to complain about. Yak Boy, what the hell is going on at O'Brien's Irish Pub in downtown historic Temple, Texas, where this all started? The Tuesday Night Cigar Club was born there. Our heart and soul lives in those brick walls behind you. What do you guys got going on in October?
2: Well, we are starting, you know, with the entire month of October. Of course, this uh, we had our official grand opening on Halloween. And we wanted to pick, you know, hey. So that was kind of our, you know, one of my pretty much my favorite holiday. Yeah. So we were like, you know, for this month, I mean, we're going to be celebrating our 13th anniversary. Nice. So we're just going to be. Letting the food and drink flow freely. Freely? No, not that free. Oh. But, oh uh, finally,
4: substitutions. Yeah, look, it's Kate and all What's up, busters? get out of There's all kinds of crazy
2: talk going on right now. No, we're doing uh, a, we're doing a specials all month, uh, leading up to Halloween, which of course, is Halloween is. I mean, if everyone has been. Paying attention, we've got a thing. Halloween comes on a Saturday this year, so party time on the weekend, as well as a full moon on Halloween. Oh, that should be interesting. Yeah, so unfortunately, we will most likely get just a ton of crazy people coming out. But hey, I was gonna say
1: that should be interesting if you own a bar. I'll I'll be safely (laughs) in my living
2: room because I get the feeling. Oh man, that's a great costume. What costume? All right, moving on. Oh, cool! Uh-huh. You dressed as an escape mental patient.
1: What? Oh. <laughs> Everyone, get your ass down there in the month of October. Uh, the food has never been better. The, the tap walls looking great, and uh, there, there's no better place in Central Texas. And I'll also give a little shout out if you're a little bit south of, of Temple on the I-35 uh, pipeline. Stop in at the Bon Air in Austin, Texas. Our uh, beloved fifth member, Fritz Beer, has uh, his bar, the Bon Air and restaurant, opened uh, about two months ago, maybe? Um, yeah, I think
4: so. Yeah. Maybe
1: a little bit more. But uh, their food selection looks amazing at amazingly reasonable costs. They got a ton of just St. Louis beers. It's all, Fritz is a St. Louis boy, so it's all St. Louis themed. They always got the Cardinals game on. But weekends, they got all the college and pro games on. Get your, your – those – yak boy, those shish kebabs look amazing. Oh,
2: man, I keep seeing them post pictures of it, and I'm literally just salivating every time because yeah. it's just like man, a pile like, of, of meat.
1: It's like five bucks, like in these giant half-pound burgers for four bucks, basket of fries. You can't go wrong. Plus, you might get to uh, see Fritz Beer and uh, tell him you're – a fan of the Tuesday Night cigar Club podcast, and that will get you nothing for free, but <laughs> possibly will, some scorn. You've, right. no, you know, you have immediately <laughs> made a friend in Fritz and Doctor. <sighs> I think it's safe to say Fritz is a very good friend to have.
3: Amen to that.
1: We don't I'm make sure. a lot of, we haven't made a lot of new friends over our adult lives, but Fritz is one of them.
3: Amen. Yes, sir. And
1: Hey, Tut, Tuts, one of them too. Yeah, yeah. Saddest day of my life. We made two friends. <laughs> We have made two friends since high school. How about that? <laughs> awesome! Awesome! <sighs> well, uh, that's ladies, called a friend streak. Ladies and ghouls, busters and bustettes. We do three things here every episode. In case you're new to the show, uh, we pair a film, which we will talk our way through and dig in like no one else does, and telling you the story in our own unique, special way. And we pair that film. With a premium cigar, cleverly, and hopefully uh, tie it in somehow to a craft beer or liquor or whatever the hell we can get our hands on these days. Uh, doctor's been cooking up some stuff in his bathtub. I know it's not quite ready yet, but you tell us when it is, and uh, we'll make it's the big A jump.
3: on the bathtub A. Eh?
1: Oh, sorry. We can edit that out in post. You're, you'll be fine. Um, so let's before, because we kind of have a little cigar tonight, uh, and I know Todd will probably smoke it in about 15 minutes.
4: i don't salivating f- for this.
1: Why don't we first, I'm very excited about tonight's cigar, but first, why don't we let Yak Boy, since he's our resident beer expert, introduce what everyone is drinking. And throughout the night, we will criticize it or praise it. And at the end of the show, you can take that as gospel. If we didn't like it, it sucks. If we loved it, you better go out and buy it up because it's going to be flying off the shelves when people see this on the youtubes
4: I'm telling you, when it comes to beer, I've never heard a time when we are wrong.
1: No, ever. But I don't remember what we drank last week, so take think that's where it is. <laughs> Yakboy, <laughs> last week? boy, you know what? I'm going to cheer up the doctor from the get-go. Let's hit up the doctor first. You're my number one guy tonight, Doc. What is the
2: doctor drinking? Beer. Moving on. What is Ooh. the time? All right. Now, no, the good, good doctor is drinking the Hefeweizen <laughs> from Martin House Brewing. You did them last mm-hmm. week, Jax. You yeah. did Martin House last week. Yes. And, we, and they yeah. are a spectacular brewery. They're up in uh, the, the the DFW area. I don't think I've ever had they have them. Been, mm. They're very limited in their they have only, I should probably say, here started to distribute outside of that area within probably about the last two years okay. and it's been kind of limited because they are, uh, they're, I mean, very popular. Their beers are really good. Uh, I, I highly recommend, they have a, a line of, uh, sour beers and all of them that I've had thus far are really great, but he's having the, uh, Hefeweizen by Martin House. Uh, it is a uh, 5.2% ABV and, uh, and of course, being Hefeweizen, it's only got about 10 IBUs. But uh, you know, the Hefeweizen uh, is a uh, German style, the uh, uh, the Weiss beer, uh, wheat beer, uh, come the is usually gets that style because it's, uh, 50% malted wheat is used in the uh, brew, and then of course. It gets a lot of it's the tasting notes come from the yeast giving the, the type of yeast they use, which ends up giving it sort of a, a banana and or clove flavor in the in the aromas and taste. So,
1: yeah. Dr. Hold the can up one more time. The can has a very uh, European kind of uh, artwork and and look to it. I dig the can. Like oh, the- yes, I do. Oh, it's got a big European guy. Uh, shoot. Oh, he
4: actually yeah, she looks, she
1: actually, um, actually looks like a farmer.
3: He does, and that was kind of my tie-in was it's a blue skies and there's a big crow right there, and they're in some kind mm-hmm. of they're in they're in some kind of wheat
0: field. There's other uh, it could things. be a, it could be a cornfield.
3: It's actually a very artistic can. It oh, is, actually, yeah, it's beautiful. That um, it's been a long time since I've had a half of bison. Uh, you can definitely pick up that. Uh, obviously, you're going to taste weed, or it's not a Hefeweizen, but you you, you pick up what Yax was saying about the – you definitely get, like, a banana taste, which is not unpleasant. Um, so, i have to see. Uh, right now, it, it, it goes down very easy. Um, I think I'm used to having IPAs and or uh, what we here refer to as malted liquors. So uh, this is kind of a very smooth,
1: uh, oh yeah, sure,
3: going uh, uh, light beer, but has a, it's not a light beer, obviously, but it has a nice nice taste to it so far, very yeah. very smooth and. Well,
1: I give I give it points just for that artwork because I have noticed a Supreme. general a general trend in in craft beer lately where
4: Metamal a legend. lot of the
1: a lot of the labeling looks similar and similar fonts and similar. Kind of just designs without any real signature artwork, like that. That's a beautiful presentation. I I, I really dig that can.
3: Okay. Yeah, that's what stuck out for me. And that could that could be a an ear of corn there on the.
1: I think it is. I think I saw a little ear of corn. Uh, you know what a little ear of corn calls, calls its father? Popcorn. Yaks, what is Tut drinking tonight?
2: Give me, give me a minute. I gotta
4: get past that joke.
1: Sorry, I'm not. I'm not doing a bunch of corny.
4: Oh, oh jokes come on! Here. You just did another one. I just did another one. Sorry. Cover All your,
1: right. cover your ears.
2: God uh. oh, damn it! The good Tut uh, is drinking.
1: Ah, uh, shucks. Get it? Shucks. Shucking. Oh,
2: <laughs> I've got to go take a break for. An wow. hour or two. For, yeah. Forever. <laughs> Good Mr. Tuttle is having an Oktoberfest.
1: Yeah, yes. it is a season.
2: And he's drinking it He's is. drinking
1: out of an O'Brien's Oktoberfest. Um, what do you call him? A Stein.
2: Stein. The half-weeder. Wow. Uh, the, the baby Stein.
4: Yeah, yeah I'm Sometimes, sorry. You know, there's, the no, uh, there's no movie tie-in with this. It's just Oktoberfest. I felt in the mood for an guys, Oktoberfest beer. Any,
1: any time this month that you guys want to do an Oktoberfest, it, it, it fits. It
2: tracks. Well, his is made by Real Ale Brewing. Uh, they are located out of Blanco, Texas. Uh, and as the, the Oktoberfest, uh, just kind of the name people think of, but it, the actual beer itself is known as a Marzen. Uh, uh, they originally, uh, a German style, origi- uh, originated in Germany, and from that German style, it, uh, Marzen, meaning March. Uh, originally, it was a springtime beer that they would uh, make to to signal the new year of, of growing. And, but uh, over time, it, it became a, a fest-style beer, and of course, it became very popular for Oktoberfest, the celebration. Yes.
1: Yes, yeah, is this the beer that they they store underground, or isn't the Marsin the one that like gets stored, or like in the beginning? Well, I
2: mean, like- a lot of beers are, are kept. You know, when they the old style is, you know, you would brew the beer, you would put it in a in cask.
4: It lasts longer.
2: For refrigeration, you know, back in the day, you didn't have it, so you would bury it or put it in a cellar where it would be cooler, even during summertime
1: i think i'm getting mixed up there was a beer we, we a style of beer we talked about years ago where they actually buried the beer like they dug a hole and like buried it under the soil and i thought that was the marzen but
4: no i think i think you're talking about the bars they used to do that go underground to keep it uh to keep it cooler longer and it would last longer but the marzen style actually lasts longer than if Cody, correct me if I am I am off base. The Mars and style actually lasts longer in terms of you know being drinkable. Yeah.
2: Okay.
1: Okay. Todd, you're a big real ale fan. Uh, I know don't they do our Hans Pills? Yes, Ooh, they do. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. So I guess and, I am. And I think you did uh, one a couple shows ago that you really liked. Uh, how's the Oktoberfest?
4: Oh, the Oktoberfest, let me tell you, boys, I want to strap on some Lederhosen oh, with okay. a cowboy hat to represent Blanco and just grab this O'Brien Stein, head down to wherever there's some sort of socially distance-appropriated Oktoberfest going on, pour a beer, get drunk, sing German, and I don't even know German, but that's what this beer makes me want to do. Man, that's that's high praise. You going to wear the kilt? No, Lederhosen. Uh, oh, I gotta! I gotta get my wife to make it.
0: Yeah, I didn't think you owned that. Uh, it's, just,
4: it's that good, huh? Yeah, it's good. I like it. I like okay. it. Uh, yeah, yeah, I really do. Uh, it's not as meaty as like the spot in Oktoberfest, but uh, yeah, we're we're in the ballpark. Well, if you boys remember,
1: uh, we featured the Shiner Oktoberfest. <laughs> Was that the beer? Twice. Twice on the show without knowing we had done it a first time.
2: We were about two hours into the show. You can give a beer. We
1: were about two hours into the show, and we we're like, I just kept thinking, like, this is so familiar. And then we uh, took a, a brief intermission, looked it up, and, yeah, we'd, we'd already done that beer before. And
2: That's the only beer we've done twice that I that – How could that have happened as if something had erased our memory?
3: <laughs> they should use yes. it as a selling point. These guys liked so, liked it so much, they drank so much of it, they forgot they'd drunk it. That's how good our beer is.
1: <laughs> now again, we could have done a beer three three times and we just haven't discovered that
3: yet. Like, it, 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 There's a lot going on. <laughs> there's
1: a lot of moving parts here. Yeah. Say,
4: yeah, there's a lot of things we could have done that we All haven't right. discovered yet.
1: Well, I wouldn't think an Oktoberfest would screw too much with a cigar. It's kind of a, a pretty straightforward profile. So.
4: Yeah, uh, it's it's it does have a uh, that nice malty flavor, uh, but I don't think that's. I, I, yeah, I think it will stand out of the way of everything. Okay.
1: Um, well, let's go to me next, Yak Boy. What the hell am I drinking as I crack open a fresh
2: another one? Well, he who walks behind the hops. You are drinking the Nebraska IPA uh, from Nebraska Brewing. Hey, wait. Uh, Our our movie takes place in Nebraska. It does. What a tie-in. What a tie-in. That's how you do it. Uh, The Nebraska IPA.
1: How the hell hell do you tie in an elephant with Nebraska? They have an elephant on their can.
2: Are there wild elephants in Nebraska? Apparently so, huh? On the plains of Nebraska, <laughs> in the cornfields of Nebraska, perhaps.
4: I think it's the uh, beloved mascot of uh, southeastern Nebraska U. Te- pachyderms, <laughs> the pack, the mighty pachyderms.
1: I did not know that. Amazing. Uh, Maize <laughs> is Spanish for corn.
3: The real fans are called dermheads.
1: <laughs> Those <laughs> dim derm heads. Oh good derm right. on. Uh, I'm sorry, Yax. Tell me about this del- it's a very delicious beer. Tell me more.
2: All right. The Nebraska IPA uh comes in at a at a nice six point nine percent ABV okay. and a seventy two IBU. Are we are we detecting seventy two IBUs? Does it you have bitterness?
1: It does. Uh we always do this i i would put it more around 63 but uh that's just my world-renowned beer expert talking uh <laughs> it, it's probably somewhere in the middle there but it, it, it is it's got a really nice hot bite but my god it's got a smooth uh really mild citrus um a little bit of pine. It's kind of got a little bit of everything you like about IPAs,
2: but very small amounts of them.
1: A little bit of citrus, tiny bit of pine.
2: Well, it is a, it is more of a it is a West Coast style IPA, so they, they you should get uh, they did a, a, a as I said a, an abundant amount of these citra hops, so you should detect you know a good amount of citrus, pine, yeah, uh, floral it's- aspects.
1: Yeah, the uh, the floral definitely comes through on the nose. Man, it is it is really tasty. Who know they who knew they made beer in Nebraska?
3: Gotta have something to drink there. Yeah, Somebody.
1: Why why wouldn't you? Sitting around looking at the corn all day, you wanna sip on something. It's it's very, very good. But uh even despite those high hops, uh, like I said, the the citrus, the pine, everything is so balanced and kind of uh, real crisp on the front end And then they just kind of settle in uh, I'm not worried about this with the cigar either I, I think it's going to work out well Man, it's a good beer, Yax You'd really like this beer
2: I'm thinking about getting it
1: What are you drinking?
2: I like the good Mr. Tuttle I'm having an Oktoberfest Hey, hey. Here's the, here's the Exactly season. I was like, it's the beginning of October Well, technically it is Oktoberfest right now in Germany Started actually in the middle of September. So
4: uh, they canceled it. 2020 is no doubt. No, 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 no. I, I went a little oh. bit more
2: old school for the German style. I went to the Hacker Shore Oktoberfest. That's a classy looking label, too. Yes, it is. Uh, Hacker Shore, uh, one of the six original Munich
4: breweries. It's a real boy.
2: Yeah. Now, of course, my tie in being Hacker. We got a little axes uh, right here. A lot of axes uh, in our movie. Yeah, okay. I was like, hey, hey, can't go can't pass that up. Uh Hacker Shore uh one like I said, one of the original Munich breweries started back in the in the year of our Lord one thousand four
4: hundred and seventeen. Wow.
2: Wow. Yes. Uh during uh between the uh named after uh Family, the uh, of, uh, Teresa Hacker and Joseph Shore. The two were married, and they combined it, and that was the name of the brewery. Uh, the uh, Hacker Shore Oktoberfest is 5.8% uh, ABV and right about 20 IBUs. It's very low, but um, like I said, uh, you know, and it is located in uh, Munich, in uh, Bavaria, in Germany. and it's, and like I said, they, you know, we, we, we really don't ha- we can't really compete. We can like, Oh, this beer was started, you know, back in 2010 or maybe we can go back to a, something like it was 1900, but
4: the, the it's hard to compete when someone
2: goes 1417. 17. Yeah.
4: <laughs> We've been brewing longer than your country's been in existence.
2: Yeah. Twice as
3: long. <laughs> killing all the infidels in the crusades. When you want to sit down with a nice cold beer. <laughs> the Hacker Shore Brewery is the only one to
2: take the blood (laughs) off your blade it's Hacker Shore time is there there a tagline for them they are known as the heaven of the Bavarians so so far so good it is a a wonderful style I am enjoying it it is if if I think of you know Oktoberfest if I think of the Marzen style the German beers are, I mean, they invented the style, so yeah. they're damn good at it.
1: Mal- malty?
2: Very. Very. I, I mean, but the and Star really has a real sort of bready uh, aroma taste to it, just come from the, the style of the malts used to make it. But uh, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Plus, like I said, I couldn't, I couldn't pass up the fact that I kept looking for something devil-wise or corn, and I couldn't find it. But then I was like, hacker. They hacked everybody to death in this movie.
1: These little fuckers love hacking people to pieces.
2: Okay. For, for the longest time, it took me forever because I was like, man, I could have I sworn there was an axe in this movie. And, of course, I mean, it does come in. I was like, oh, there it is. There's, there's that axe. There's. This works out.
1: Well, I told the doctor if he didn't find a beer, he could just buy some corn whiskey. He'd be fine.
2: Oh, well, that, was that an option? Because we normally just do beer.
1: These days, man, anything's an option. You do what feels right.
3: I oh, I will. What's
1: just going on in that bathtub? <laughs> <laughs> well, boys, we have a very special cigar tonight to kick off for our second episode in the March to Halloween, Horrific Drinking Spooktacular Extravaganza, or some shit like that. It what is, could it eat? It is the Between the Lines by Arturo Fuente. Fuente. Much like Behind the Rose, Between the Lines. He Who Walks Behind the Rose plays a big part in our movie tonight. So I went with the He Who Walks Between the Lines cigar. Have we ever done a Fuente? No. All right. We have uh, done a J.C. Newman Black Diamond that was uh, done at the Fuente factory.
0: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: We are hopefully going to do, fingers crossed, a uh, Daniel Marshall's 38th Anniversary Cigar, uh, which is made in conjunction with uh, Toro Fuente later this year. Uh, really hoping that works out. But no, we have not done a straight-up Arturo Fuente, which when we first met Tut out on that smoking deck in O'Brien's Irish Pub many years ago. That was his go-to cigar, was the the Fuente. That was.
4: Uh that was my that was my favorite back then. But before uh you introduced me to the wonderful world of Nicaraguan cigars, uh the Fuente was my thing. You were a Dominican man. Yes. Well, this is
1: why this cigar is special to me. When I first got really immersed in the world of premium cigars, I saw pictures of this. Unique, beautiful. And I had smoked a lot of the Hemingway short story, which is the mm-hmm. same figurado shape. But I saw pictures of this online and I was like, I have to smoke that cigar. I had, I'd smoked the CAO America barber pole and I really loved it. But this was like my holy grail, my white whale, and you just don't see these things you're not going to walk into your local brick and mortar and find these. You're not going to think I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen it in the wild. You are not going to go out in the wild unless you go into an Arturo Fuente cigar lounge, like in Vegas or at Caesars. You're just, you don't see these things and they just kind of like a lot of the, the rare opuses uh, that Puente does. They just kind of leak out every once in a while. Um, and this was literally the first cigar 10 years ago that I wanted and I could never find. And about two years ago, I think, um, a collector with a rather large cigar collection was selling it off. He had some health problems and was selling, uh, sadly, had to sell off all his prize cigars. And when I lo- scrolled through there and looked and I saw these little suckers, I, uh, I scooped him up and i it's almost bringing a tear to my eye that I'm holding this in my hand because I have wanted to smoke the cigar for a decade and we are officially getting to light out, which can only lead to disappointment. There's no way the cigar can possibly... Uh, see
4: so- i i take the other tact i think about the guy that you bought it from the guy that cherished these so much that he wanted to hold on to him until his health failed him and he had no other choice but to let him go and then you picked him up and here we are and you're revering this thing so much i think that he'd be proud of
1: that i i think maybe he would i will send him a link to this episode if you look at the cello that you guys pulled off the cigar the cell phone. It had a little – he dated all his cigars when he bought them. If you look on there, there's a little sticker. Uh, he per- first purchased these in 2009. So the cigar we're smoking tonight is 11 years old.
4: Oh, wow. Nice. Um, I wish you would have told me that before I threw the thing away.
1: Yeah, uh, just take my word for it. it it's, uh, yeah, th- these were from 2009, and they don't get released every year apparently. Fuente is really mysterious with their limited editions. Um, So they just come out when they come out and people gobble them up. Uh, We'll talk MSRP later, but it's kind of irrelevant because there is an MSRP ish when they come out, but you're always going to end up paying above that uh, from collectors to, to get your hands on them. But uh, it's, Already a very special cigar to me. So you're right, Ted. I, I'm actually just really amped up to, to to try this little guy. Let me tell you a little something about it. It is a four and a half by, because it's figurado, it measures 45 and 54. 54 at the bulbous head, much like the doctor. And then uh, 45 lower. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I won't mention your bulbous head again. And then uh, the wrapper is a U.S. Connecticut broadleaf. No, I was talking about your wiener. Oh. <laughs> uh, with the, it it's a U.S. <laughs> Connecticut broadleaf wrapper mixed in the barberful style with the uh, legendary African Cameroon binder, Dominican filler, Dominican. And as I said, we will talk the vaguish price point later on in the show. From our friends over at Famous Smoke Shop, we learned this about tonight's super rare cigar. Easily among the most coveted Hemingway's, Between the Lines combines Hemingway's signature blend of vintage mild Dominican tobaccos inside a barber pole wrapper of African Cameroon and U.S. Connecticut Broadleaf. The cigar offers a wealth of complexity in a truly classic light-bodied cigar, which I think we all have good beers to, to go along with that. Uh but that's what Famous Smoke Shop says, as world-renowned internet cigar experts, I think we'll be the judge of what this cigar is.
3: Question? Mm-hmm. Um You mentioned the type of cigar being a Hemingway, and you'd also mentioned the short story. So I know I I, I love the, the short story, the obviously the name was correct, those little ones. So what, what makes it a Hemingway? Are those just kind of the, the smaller
1: no, there's a whole series of Puente cigars called the Hemingway series. There's a short okay. story. There's uh, – gosh, I I just smoked so much of those short stories. There's like four different sizes, but they're all kind of book-themed um, in nature.
3: Okay. I, I, Then in my past days, I've had m- many of those Hemingways, but really – smoked a shit at the short story also.
1: Yeah, me too. Uh, when I, especially when I was early on smoker. I, I just really loved that short story. Uh, and I still do occasionally. I don't smoke a lot of them. Boy, the cold draw is really...
4: It's kind of got a, a harsh... That, my friends, that you are sensing is called valve oil. Valve oil? Yes. In the band terms, you've got your trumpets and your tubas and your baritones, and they press those little valves in there, and that's just metal sliding with metal. So what you do is you take out that that key, and you put some valve oil all across it, slide it back in, and it lubes it all up. That harshness that you're smelling or the tasting is that same valve oil type taste. This thing has a mineral, but it's not like it's not like Nicaraguan earthy mineral. This is a metallic mineral. This is a it, it, interesting. Was, it it was
1: metallic in nature. Yeah, it's kind of a harsh metallic cold draw.
4: Yeah. Uh and dude, I'm enjoying the fudge out of that first light. It's good. Oh man, it's good.
1: I really like the figurados, the just that short story, that signature little, tiny little head of the cigar or the foot of the cigar. Oh man, some really nice light coffee.
4: A little bit of. Uh... I really wish we hadn't done a show. Well, well, there's two things that I wish. One. We that weren't doing show so you could just concentrate on the cigar. That that we weren't doing this in front of the doctor who doesn't have one of these, and we're going to be like, he oh will, doctor, he, you just. he
1: will have one once everything goes back to normal in five years.
4: Okay, doctor. I'm at peace with the fact that
3: nothing's ever going back to normal. Tut, enjoy away, sir. Enjoy doctor, away, doctor.
4: When you do get this, find find you a nice quiet spot and just unplug and enjoy. Yeah, because guys- that's my that's my deal. I don't want to perform tonight. I don't want to be talking about flavors and all this stuff. I just want to sit back, let the fracking world just disappear, and enjoy my beer and this cigar.
1: Light coffee. I'm getting a little bit of mint with a, a, a really warm cedar undertones. Oh my God, it's it's. I'm with you, Todd. It's it's tasty, yak
2: boy. It's almost I, I, you say coffee, but I mean it's almost like for, like coffee grounds. You're just smelling coffee grounds. I don't know if that's the when you when you when you're around that and you just breathe it in, versus that that you know an actual I don't know. It just I'm liking it. That's it's very different.
0: It is. And I very mean different.
2: the the cold dry. I, I had a. a a touch of like that that you know that smell of like you know cut hay. Yeah, no, it, it did
1: have a grassy component, but that but that strong mineral, that metallic mm-hmm. kind of harshness, uh, completely disappeared upon ignition. Uh, just uh, yeah. the, the coffee and the warm cedar and the oh man, it's it's good. Okay, I, I'm gonna smoke this slow. I want to enjoy this one. This might be the first cigar we can get Tut to smoke slow. He's done.
4: It's too late. He's already done. All right. Well, let's uh,
1: smoke a little bit more. We'll come back to it. But I want to
4: blaze through this thing and
1: enjoy every
4: second of it.
1: I want to introduce tonight's film because it's a good one. Tonight, we're going to be talking about Children of the Corn 2, 1992. Great year, Doc.
4: Uh, Wait. Nope. Nope. Cut that one. No, that no, you can do this you can do the little music. Not in this movie. <laughs> well this is movies
1: more uh children's giggling and and uh weird children's church songs, but I I like the original children of the corn music if you want to do that as well. Yeah. Why it took them almost a decade to make a sequel to the first Show on the Corn, I'll never understand. But once they got oh, wow. started that sequel train is still choo-chooing along to this day, almost 30 years later. One came out two years ago, and they've made damn near a dozen of these things. With tonight's entry, by far, is the cream of the crop. And next year, it's already been shot. We'll see yet another entry that will actually serve as sort of a prequel where we witness the events that led up to the original kiddos slaughtering all the poor, hard-working parents of Gatlin, Nebraska in the original movie. So that that movie's already been shot. This this whole franchise is, is is just goes on and on and on. I've only seen three or four of them. Same with the Doctor. As much as we love horror movies, the sequels just never came close to these first two. Doctor, if you would not mind, not only is our resident Stephen King expert here at the podcast, uh, but just you're really good at explaining shit. Could you give us a little history about *Children of the Corn*, going back to Stephen King's short story, and then just a brief gloss over of the series as a whole?
3: Thank you, Mr. Cade. Uh, it would be my pleasure. Um, *Children of the Corn* is actually a short story that, uh, believe it or not, first appeared in print in the March 1977 *Penthouse* magazine. <laughs> Before, well, <laughs> I'm kidding.
2: Uh, what? And, uh, what What and, uh, issue was this?
3: It, it wait, couldn't, well, have been I was about to year. say, I was, I was hoping you that, you, you
4: were true, that it was you true. You say you are kidding?
3: I, no, I'm telling I said I'm not kidding. Oh, yeah. I'm telling the That's truth. That's awesome. Stephen King printed some of his short stories in Penthouse in the 70s. And if you can find a copy of the March of 77 issue, that is supposedly when Children of the Corn was first printed.
2: Uh, uh, wait, let me get my pen first. I got to write that down. So, uh, wait, go on.
3: Seven. Um, it was not his only story to be printed in Penthouse. Um, I yeah. was.
4: I always thought it was that anthology or or something. Well, okay, well, that's uh, cool. It, it appeared a what, short what... story. And then, uh, then
3: he collected his his one of his earliest collections, I believe his earliest collection of short stories. Uh, printed not long after that in seventy-eight or seventy-nine, the wonderful outstanding collection of short stories called Night Shift. Night Shift, that's where I remember it. Hey, yes. Doctor,
1: Doctor, are you in agreement? His best collection of short stories.
3: Man, from top to bottom, I think there's just, the, you know, because Skeleton Crew's really good. But as far as bulk, more quant, qu- quantity wise,
1: Night Shift has like a gazillion great short stories, whereas The Mist took up like a quarter of Skeleton Crew. Yeah,
3: these but- are all- 25. I actually I reread it earlier. It's a it's a 30 page short story. Um, yeah, you've got two the the two really good ones from Cat's Eye, The Ledge, and Quitters Ink are in there.
0: Ah, oh, Quitters uh, Ink. Uh,
3: man, just so many. Yeah, it was it wasn't. Okay, it's right. It was one of the thinner volumes of his short stories. But yeah, so it first appeared in House Magazine. Then it appeared as part of the the Night Shift collection. Um, very very creepy. Uh short story, I mean, even, I think, almost scarier than, as, as, I, I mean, I remember being frightened by the original movie as a kid, and I remember, well, until I saw Camp by Me Love, thinking that Malachi was one of the scariest people ever. He uh, was. He was. It shows the, the talent of, of Courtney Gaines, that he could play Malachi and then play kenneth were kenneth the nerd man or whatever his name was and can't buy me love yeah. uh just a few years apart so i was terrified by the movie but the the book is really scary because it, it's, it's a short a short story so it has the two characters of Bert and vicky driving into town they're really at each other's throat like they're really their relationships on the rocks they are really argue with one another and uh so you don't, you don't see the, the, the exposition from, from the movie, uh, where, where, you know, the, the townspeople get killed at the beginning by the kids, um, you know, they, they go into town, the, the they, you know, just like in the first movie, I'm I'm going on too long, but, uh, they, they, a kid runs out in the road and they hit him with the car they take him into town. And, like the, the character of Bert finds his book showing all these people's dates, like, born 1945 died 1964 everybody was 19 he kind of just theorizes what happened and the children kind of come after them and there's a character named malachi but with no real resonance and, and they the lead preachers isaac is supposed to be nine years old uh, so it's obviously a very truncated story but um king's work uh it started with carrie where they just made they just started making popular movies and Hollywood always being unoriginal would, uh, you know, in the seventies, you got the Godfather was a book. Jaws was a book. Uh, so all of a sudden someone looked at Carrie and thought, Hey, this unknown guy just wrote this. We think this will make a good movie. And then all of a sudden then you've got the shining Salem's lot Cujo Firestarter. They're all cracking out. So I think it was just like, what can we, this guy's written these short stories. What can we take and, and, and I don't buy as a film property uh, so I think that's where the original movie came from. Um, so as Cade pointed out, that's when Children of the Corn first started. And we've got the original movie in 84. And then 92, I, I think the theatrical release was was early 93. You have the sequel, uh, Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice, which really is the only one that has some real continuity to it. Um, it's obvious that when you watch the movie, it's it's supposed to take place the movie we watched while being filmed in 92 was supposed to take place probably a week or so after the events of the first film. Yeah.
2: Um,
3: but uh, it's, so it's got, it's got, and you know, we've got the, the sheriff, you know, Kate will get into this. He mentions Isaac at the beginning there. There's continuity there. Um, afterwards, a term that came uh, a term near and dear to our hearts, direct video. video. Um, well, you've got children of the corn three urban harvest, Uh, I vaguely remember that, and where, like, two kids go live with people in Chicago. Uh, Then there was, like, the gathering storm, and and they just on and on. Very little continuity, um, whether it's people stumbling into a town near Gatlin or wherever. A lot of weird kind of stuff that's unexplainable. Um, I got real excited about 1999 or so. They had Children of the Corn 666, which was Isaac's Return. Oh, they brought Isaac back with Stacy Keach. Stacey Keach in that was, they had John Franklin reprising his role as Isaac. I have a DVD of it somewhere. What I remember of that movie is that all these inexplicable things happen, like, you know, like David Lynch stuff, like someone, w- you know, waking up and being somewhere where they were not, and all of a sudden a scene stops and starts someplace else. And it's like, if I want to watch Lost Highway or Mulholland Drive, I'll do it. When I'm renting Children of the Corn Six, no sir, I don't. I don't need it. I don't <laughs> want to use this guy to get to my movies.
1: I want to see Corn and Blood. That's it.
3: Yeah. Uh, and Kate, I believe you pointed out that in one of the more recent entries, as Kate said, they're still going on. There, there's been sci-fi entries. The
1: they sci-fi, didn't... the sci-fi one actually stuck to the time period of the original short story. Uh, the, the couple, the driver that. And they, unlike the original Show of the Corn movie with Burt and Vicky, uh, Peter uh, Horton Peter Horton, and Linda Hamilton of Terminator fame, where they, they, they're they getting along fine in that original Show of the Corn movie. There's no kind of marital strife that, that grows and, you know, erupts during the movie. The sci-fi original version uh, that came out, I don't know, maybe about 10 years ago. 10 years ago now. Was really, it was really good. good. I liked it. The husband and wife were just going at each other. It was believable. His PTSD from Nam kicking in when he was taking on these kids was really a cool aspect of it. I it thought was it was tense a re-
4: the entire time. I mean, from I the moment a- you're in that car with them, there was tension there, and it set you at edge. And yeah, it was it. The, it was the only
1: uh, after part two, the only entry that I thought was worth a damn. Only the kids weren't. It had shitty kid actors and it sunk it as like, man, if you had a good Malachi and Isaac in this thing, this would have been because the original, I went back and watched it this week. The original, I love that movie. I've seen it a million times and it, I hold a soft spot for it in my heart, but I mean, it's got a lot of cheese and a lot of improbable stuff that you just have a hard time glossing over how no one's discovered this Nebraska town for three years uh with all the dead folks and when i rewatched it a lot of that was glaring but a lot of the acting was not the kids but peter horton especially was just really grandiose stage acting and uh but that that sci-fi movie was really had some good stuff going for it and then i watched one or two after that and i kind of gave up
3: you leave your horton hate outside mister
1: hey he made choices and I always respect an actor who makes choices.
3: Didn't you say in one of the later iterations that uh Clue Gulager, none other than uh
1: Yes, Bert the from, the uh, last the last one uh that came out two years ago, old Bird from Retreat Living Dead, I don't know, but I did it. He's in it. His son directed <laughs> it. <laughs> Uh, his son's a director. He directed the movie and he put Clue in it. Now,
3: I don't know what's out in that corn, but I, I don't know. I tell you, goddammit, he who walks behind the rose, kissed my fuck, <laughs> not set that goddamn corn on fire. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I'll make him
1: into some corn casserole. I don't give a goddamn. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, well, thank you, doctor. I think. Uh, Welcome. Can you imagine your flipping through the pages of a 1977 penthouse, looking at all those giant bushes, and then you just come across this story.
4: I can't really see it that nice, but man, that ash is beautiful. Tut, you're you're about halfway through
1: the cigar.
2: (laughs) To me, it
1: seems to be only getting better. Can you tell me... That's an 11-year-old cigar right there. Look at that burn one.
4: I'm having a hard time pinpointing what I'm getting on that retro hell because there's a sweetness there, but it's not like a raisin sweetness i mean it's I can't tell what it is, but man, that retro hell is pleasant it,
1: it is, is? Very, it is very it's it's not uh peppery um yeah there's there's a little bit of sweetness on that retro and those uh those coffee and cedar flavors are are playing really nicely uh there's also man there's something there on that draw i i just can't get it i mean it's just a fucking unique cigar I, I i can't really equate it to anything and i'm not just saying this cuz i've wanted to smoke the goddamn thing for 11 well, years
2: i never I, knew about I it till today and
1: i'm i'm agreeing with
4: you
2: is could it maybe that be the age of the cigar? I mean, having it sit for 11 years. Yeah, it's gonna mellow out. Even a Connecticut
1: broadleaf aged that long is is gonna mellow out. Um, I,
2: mean, I, I mean, you know, I, I'm agreeing with y'all. I mean, it, it's really good. I mean, it's very smooth. Those flavors, that a little bit of sweetness, and I, and I guess you know, just because of the last few cigars we've done, you know, there's always been that that pepper, even even if it's only right. in the retro but like this doesn't even doesn't really have that spice to it.
4: Yeah. But
2: it's not like it's, it's not like it's hurting because of the lack of it. There's no spice whatsoever. Um,
4: it's what I love is that this is a, this is a full bodied, but it's not powerful at all. I mean, it is just straight. It's just full flavored. I mean, there is nothing but flavor that you're getting. There's no, I mean, I would consider it in terms of nicotine presence, you know, way on the light side from what we're normally used to around here.
1: Uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it's a mild cigar, uh, a flavorful mild cigar. So I will come back to it soon. I don't want to rub it in Mincy's face too. I don't rub it in the doctor's <laughs> no, face too much. No. Uh, doctor, you will have one of these in your goodie bag.
3: I'll get that fucking he who walks by the roats last goddamn thing I did, son of a bitch.
0: Well, tonight's- Doctor, <laughs> how co-
4: long we been friends?
0: Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Every hey, once in a while,
1: every once in a while, I'll call the doctor and start off the conversation. Doc, how long have we been friends now? Just so he gets shits his pants. Oh, fuck. <laughs> He's asking for a doozy. Hey
3: there, boy. Uh, hey there buddy boy. Hey, buddy boy. <laughs>
1: How long have we been friends now? Oh, crap. <laughs> it ain't weasels in the bags.
3: It ain't corn. It ain't ears in the
1: corn. Written by A.L. Katz and Gilbert Adler, who would reteam two years later as writers for the very fun Tales from the Crypt movie Bordello of Blood. Oh, nice. Starring, starring Corey Feldman and the one and only Dennis Miller. <laughs> no, 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 no. I know you're a Miller fan, Tut. Hey, Chachi, what's up with these little Amish ass wipes down in Gatlin, eh? Why don't we send Casey Anthony down there with an Uzi and a duffel bag of ammo, eh, babe? Huh?
4: No, it's coming.
1: Oh, uh, I'm sorry.
4: am so Oh, no, Casey, Anthony, come on.
1: <laughs> I'm going to hell. <laughs> hell, if you're lucky, Chachi. Oh, uh, that Bordello Blood was a fun flick. I didn't like the original Tales from the Crypt movie uh, Dark Knight or First Night or... Demon Night. Demon, Demon Night. Night. But I, I watched Bordello Blood in the theater in Huntsville, Texas in college at least two or three times. Because I kept falling asleep because I was drunk. So I'd go back and see it again to get a little bit further into it. Uh, But it was a fun flick. I thought Dennis Miller is a private eye and Feldman is a vampire, whatever the hell he was. Maybe we should do that on the show. Yes. I'm, I'm all in favor of this, yes. You guys did beach bikini titties, babe. I think you can give me a shot. huh?
4: And it was directed by... Doc is leaving. Doc's like, I got a cold... Uh, I only, you know I only do at... it...
1: Doc, I only do it because Tuttle, for some reason, finds my Dennis Miller funny, and I, I just laugh at him laughing at it. <laughs>
4: it's a horrible impression.
3: I liked the Casey Anthony reference. I just don't know if I could listen to that. <laughs>
4: oh, I could listen to it all night. Oh, God, if we did a Dennis Miller movie? Please no.
1: Oh. Hike up your Wranglers, busters. Okay, it was directed by David Price, who would go on not to direct much, but he did produce the fun-filled horrific Leprechaun one year later in 1993. Yeah. So he's got yeah. two—he's got two good movies under his uh, resume. I'll give him that. Are you guys ready for this? Are you buckled in? Are you ready to rock? Yes, please. I am. Let's do this.
4: I'm half a six-pack in. I got nothing better to do and nothing to lose. Let's go.
1: All right, let's do it. We start things off with a very simple but stylized opening credit sequence, where as we flow through a surreal cornfield, we listen to a sinister children's song. It's sung to the tune of London Bridges Falling Down, but the lyrics are all about hate, pain, and death. There's also some children's laughter mixed in with some lamb noises. Like, meh, meh. I thought it was highly effective. I love the sound design in this film. I I thought thought it was was great. I
3: thought it was pretty creepy.
1: Now, granted, the original movie, the opening credits, were the cartoon drawings the children did of all the killings and stuff. It's hard to beat that. But I thought, even though the visuals were kind of lame, the sound design with the, the, the children's song and the meh, are there lambs in Nebraska? Is that even a thing?
4: Yeah, I'm, uh, sure. I'm sure there, there are. There's some grazing land somewhere. It's nothing right. but the
1: sheeple. All right, well, you know what? I liked it. I thought it was a it. just fine opening. Uh You know what? In the spirit of tonight's movie, I'm changing my multicolored pen to yellow for corn. But You're not going to be able to see it on the paper. Oh, wait, I, I just wrote on my, I can't see it. All right, I'm going back to purple. We then cut to a cellar where several men and a local sheriff descend down into the darkness. Flashlights first. And after they're hit with the unmistakable stench of rotting bodies, they sure enough find a basement full of decomposing corpses, many of them with corn cob crucifixes jammed into their bodies. Doctor, that has to hurt.
3: Well, it certainly does. I don't think that the actual, you know nutrient content that you get from the corn itself is really going to take away any of the just horrible pain of being stabbed with the corn oh
1: god no i don't think anything you get shoved in your body if it's covered in vegetables will, will counter that doctor where's your glasses? oh they're there doctor do you think there's any chance that it didn't
3: hurt when they got stabbed with the corn cob crucifixes my god no that must have been terrible it must have just been awful I mean, it's not as bad as getting stabbed with an eggplant crucifix, but that's another matter. We'll make that movie.
1: (laughs) Back outside in the comforting daylight, a Channel 12 news reporter is telling us of the macabre scene taking place in Gatlin, Nebraska, where over 50 dead bodies have been found with half the small town still unaccounted for. The kids have seemingly massacred every adult in Gatlin and Sheriff Blaine Tells the reporter that the younger children came under the influence of some teenage cult members led by Isaac Croner. And he received this info from a married couple that was passing through on vacation. That'd be Bert and Vicky from the original film, Linda Hamilton and Peter Horton. The film so version. So yes, the sequel takes place right after that. And yes, it gotcha. seems that like after all Bert and Vicky went through in that first thing, they just told the sheriff, Hey, here's what happened, and they got the hell out of here.
2: Saw- By the way, there's a there's a house over there just full of dead bodies. Gotta go. Hey, they said it was these kids, they're
4: dead. All right, everything's And the sheriff's like, Okay. Yeah. Y'all you're free to go. Get out of here. Get on out of here. I mean quite
2: literally they're literally you can still hear their tires peeling away as they're driving out of <laughs> town.
1: We got their statements. Everything's fine. <laughs>
3: This is called early '90s horror. Uh, it's done to a T. Like we're gonna try and tie this in for the fans, but let's not really waste any time doing it. Let's. And
4: I'm a, and I'm actually cool with this tie-in and this wrap-in. I mean, it was right in. It sunk right in, and I was just kind of like, all right, I'm 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 buying. It did
1: it. I, I liked him referencing Burton Vicky, but I mean, you know, it might as well have been Burton Ernie Jati. This guy doesn't give a shit. Another report. I just did it to see you laugh. Another reporter is trying to get some. sound.
0: <laughs>
4: hey, i sorry, Doc. I'm trying. I'm trying.
3: You all enjoy yourselves. Sorry.
1: Another reporter is trying to get some sound bites from the children who are all lined up to be bust out of Gatlin. Talk about white privilege. These kids just killed an entire town and they're given a sandwich and a bus ride to go live with some new people. No handcuffs. It'll be okay, kids.
3: Well, doesn't one of the. uh, Doesn't little fuckers just killed everybody. No, no. I thought that they try to cover that up when. uh, The bed and breakfast proprietor says all those responsible are dead.
1: Again, that was just hearsay given by that couple that just hightailed it out of town. They have nothing. This
3: is how we tied things together back in 92.
1: Well, they're being sent off on a school bus to Hemingford, 19 miles away, with a juice box and a snack to join foster families.
4: And a lollipop.
1: We'll We'll get to the lollipop in a minute, Tut. And what fucking family is going to take in a child that just butchered his own parents a week earlier? They don't know. These are the survivors. These survivors. One older kid tells the reporter when asked what he saw, all I saw was the corn. And a little girl tells him the same thing. Did you see what happened to your mommy and daddy?
4: I saw the corn. Oh, yeah. You guys are healthy enough to go back into society. Yeah, here's a lollipop. The reporter tells his camera operator, to "Cut it." What is all this shit about the corn? He says. I love that.
2: Oh <laughs> man, I pissed myself on that one.
1: <laughs> Before we go any further, do you, do you, yeah, it was good. Do you guys like corn? Love corn. corn.
2: Yeah.
1: What's your I'm favorite? I'm different. What's your favorite way to eat corn?
2: Grilled corn on the cob.
1: Hmm. That's a good one. Todd, I'm picturing you a corn casserole guy.
4: No, uh, corn muffin guy actually. Oh, you like cornbread, corn muffins? Yeah, with the uh, cheesy. Like you take corn kernels and you take cornbread and then you cheese it all up. Yeah. What about you, Doctor?
3: I'm fine with even the frozen vegetable variety of uh, like green giant corn. Uh, you can just put on a plate with your chicken or steak or whatever. But uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a fan of a uh, old fashioned corn on the cob. Um. I'll tell you what I haven't had, and had a long time, uh, for obvious reasons. But you can get it in restaurants sometime. Was that fried corn on the cob, where it's like this small half ear corn, and it's like dipped in something and breaded, like a, it's got like a breading on it, like a corn dog.
4: Uh, I was about, about to say uh, that's my second favorite part version I've of never, corn. It's corn never, dog. I've never, I've never corn had nuggets. No, no way. Do
1: corn dogs count?
3: This Not is actually. Really. It's called fried corn. It has it has a skin on it like like fried chicken, and it's oh corn. wow. We
1: well, see. I have a retainer on my bottom teeth along on the bottom, so I can't eat corn on the cob, or else it gets caught in my metal wiring on my retainer. But I love grilled. I'm with Yak Boy. I get that grilled corn on the cob, and I take a knife and I just shave it off the the ear of corn, and that that you get that char on there from the grill. Mm-hmm. Oh man. So like Guy Fieri, all of a sudden, dick it, dip it in some donkey sauce. Oh yeah.
2: I'll probably say my second favorite, of course. I am a fan of cream corn. Rudy's Barbecue has some super awesome cream corn.
1: I, I I do like Rudy's cream corn. It's a barbecue chain here in Texas. I don't know if they're nationwide, but uh.
2: They are good. Yeah.
1: Do you guys like the new metal rock band Corn? K O R N. The, the correct answer there was no Kate. I don't like them. Which you guys, nobody gave me a thumbs up, so we were, all, we're we're still cool. We're still cool. All right. Well, I just want to kind of get your guys gauge on
2: corn. Uh, if you say you of like th- corn, I will stab you with an ear of corn. Just like a, those poor souls in the face.
0: It was, it was a terrible band. Let's be honest.
4: By the way, though, it was one thing that was. Uh, good in the first one and good in the second one is that corn crucifix imagery is spooky as all get out. You know what? I don't get that because in the first
1: movie when they open the little kid they run over in the car suitcase Linda Hamilton is repulsed by this corn cob crucifix in his bag and I didn't really get the creepiness. Like, is that
4: creepy? I don't don't know. There is something a bit creepy. It's Ah.
3: in the book uh, same thing she's creeped out by the corn crucifix but then it goes in depth how when when they first discover what's going on they walk into the church and like all the keys and pipes have been stripped out of the organ and uh, pipe organ and stuffed with uh, corn husks so uh. I guess it was kind of their symbolism that uh, you shall not defile the corn.
4: I was about to say, when it comes to the corn imagery, the book is just littered with some really creepy and evil stuff. That original movie is, too, when he goes in the church, there's some pictures of
1: Jesus with his eyes poked out, and they put corn corn kernel teeth on Jesus, and,
3: like, it's some pretty That's crazy stuff. He, 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 he who walks by in
1: the rose? He who walks by in the rose is in charge of everything around here. And we're going to learn that very soon. Well, speaking of reporters, we now join tabloid reporter Garrett and his teenage son, Danny, as they drive towards the troubled hamlet of Gatlin, their SUV racing past rows upon rows of endless corn, the vegetable, not the rock band. There's tension inside the car. Lots of tension. When Danny refuses to turn the volume down on the fire and brimstone preacher shouting on the radio, Garrett barks at him from behind his giant road map. Remember we had to use road maps when we are driving around? Like, oh, I remember. This guy's got it all unfolded like in front of his face as he's driving. And they almost get in a wreck. Nice fucking driving, Danny says. Nice language, kid. Did your mother teach you that? Only when your name comes up, the teenager smirks. You see, boys, Garrett is what's called an absentee father who only occasionally remembers his son's birthday. And as a result, Danny hates his father's guts. But Garrett pleads with his smart-ass son to please cut me some slack as his butt is on the line if he blows this assignment. In other words, Danny doesn't want to be here, but his mother didn't want him to be at her wedding this weekend to Sherman the shithead. And Garrett doesn't like the situation one bit either. He makes it clear, look, I don't like you,
4: son, Around me, you don't like being around me. It's, it's, it's. I'm assuming that you just explained that to all the uh, millennials, the Gen Ys, the Gen Zs, and whatever the new, new kids that are coming up now. Because what you just explained, you do not need to explain to anybody in Gen X, because that was the life story of Gen X. It
2: it's was '92, like- after all.
4: Uh my parents just listen to this go what the fuck <laughs> to need therapy.
1: He's got the Tuesday Night Cigar Club podcast. Uh so do I. So do I, brother. Back in Gatlin, uh Jesus, you're not gonna believe this. An elderly doctor, Dr. Appleby, is handing all the homicidal youngins a lollipop after he checks them out prior to getting on the school bus. And by checking them out, I mean he has each one stick their tongue out and say, ah, and that's it. Next, ah, here's your lollipop. You look, you look good. Doctor, certainly, as a man of medicine, you would have recommended a more thorough examination to these kids?
3: Well, I just don't think sugar content is real safe to give them a lollipop.
1: They, uh, clearly, clearly, they're already hyped up. They're killing everybody.
2: Unless, of course, the lollipop is filled with a sedative, which apparently
3: none of these that kids that are going to eat. Point. Maybe he was hoping they would drug themselves on it. But, uh, yeah, he, uh, it was very much a open your mouth, say, ah, oh, and make sure you don't have, like, some sort of bubonic plague on the bus with you.
1: Yeah, I, I
4: thought it was weak sauce for sure. What uh, do they actually test for with a tongue suppressor going, ah, inflammations of the tonsils? What's that going to tell you?
2: Maybe he was looking to see if they had any corn in their teeth.
1: Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> Talk about okay. the corn.
2: Talk about the corn. That'd be funny. If one. Like, He's got corn in his front tooth. Take him away.
1: No, that'd be funny if like one kid was like ah, and they pulled out a whole corn cob out of his, a whole ear of corn
4: out of his mouth. Kill him. Um, out, Outlander. <laughs> this corn hasn't been salted. It hasn't been salted at all. Jesus, you know he's from out west. Look at the way that corn was prepared. These are self us- ingredients.
1: <laughs> I got that reference, doctor. Before the before the bus can pull away, a crazy old biddy, Mrs. Burke, swoops in on her bicycle, making all sorts of commotion. She parks in front of the bus and tells Sheriff Blaine that everyone is mad to let these children go stay with new families in Hemingford. the little monster killed their new parents just like they did their other ones. The very sexy owner of a Hemingford bed and breakfast, Angela, tries to comfort the old bag of bones, telling her that the old that the kids responsible for the killings are dead because that mysterious couple that's gone already told the sheriff that and he told us that. It's, and they got the hell out of the odds. Everything's safe now, Mrs. Burke.
3: You little monsters!
0: You little monsters!
1: Sorry. Burke Foster... Well, you know this... Maybe you should foster one of the families like I'm doing, Mrs. Burke, but she ain't about that shit one minute. She's taking her house
2: and leaving. You little monsters! You little monsters! I really like this because she literally says I'm leaving and I'm taking my house
4: with me. That's what I love. And then I was like, I was thinking was well, she in a mobile home? And we'll find uh, out later. We're you know? gonna we're gonna get to that
1: literal <laughs> statement uh here shortly. This this lady is my favorite actor in the whole goddamn movie. I love Mrs. Burke. She hadn't acted a lot, but boy she brings
2: it. Uh oh no that they- it, and I, this was the thing, as I thought back, you know, as, as this movie progresses through the scenes, I'm like, it, well, and we'll come back to this here in a second when we when we come in, but it's just, it, like you just said, her character really, it's like, I don't know why they decided to write this character, but it was perfect.
1: And I think maybe our appreciation of her is because she looked and dressed like every woman her age in Central Texas. <laughs> Oh and
4: no.
2: It,
1: I, just, I I I see this lady every time I go out You
4: in the do. Yeah, absolutely do.
1: That hairdo and that clothes, like I I it know this.
4: Gla- yeah.
1: Is it I, Is, I know
2: I mean, this is this 1975? I'm, no. Are you certain?
1: I, I know this woman. Um on their way out of Gatlin the Channel 12 news team their van almost smashes right into Garrett's car. Turns out they all know each other from back when Garrett was a respectable journalist, and the news guys fill Garrett in on what's happening. It's no worse than what we saw in Jonestown, the news guy tells Garrett. Oh, wow, they've seen some stuff. Yeah, they've seen some stuff. And then, after talking shop, they start making fun of Garrett right and left. Boom, just like that. Telling him how they admired his piece on JFK and Rock Hudson's secret marriage. And how Garrett doesn't even need to go to Gatlin for answers. He can just make up shit like he always does these days. He's taking shots right and left, body shots from these dudes, right in front of his son. And as he drives off all slowly and his head down, uh, his son Danny says, it's nice to see your friends like and respect you. That little fucker.
4: Oh, don't little fucker him.
3: Yeah, that was like a, was a real
4: asshole, so... No, I take that back Okay, maybe I saw a little bit too much of myself in him. No, Tut, we'll
1: learn throughout this film that his dad actually is the world's biggest asshole, and that tracks. No, I, I'm I'm Team Danny. Uh, I didn't mean to... I was just flashing back to when my kid was calling me Buster in the car earlier, and I, I, I shouldn't have brought that into the show. I'm
2: sorry. <laughs> it's right, okay, but...
1: Buster.
4: Sorry, boosters.
1: I'm gonna grab a beer. You almost done with that cigar now?
4: Uh, I'm I'm hang, I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. I have yeah, in about five minutes it will be gone.
1: I, I'm pretty short on this thing. It's it it has been smoking quickly, but my god, it's unique.
4: I'm just I I'm in I'm enjoying that retro hell. I am just I every time right. I take draw it in, I just I You're mean, right
1: there's a, there's a, there's a sweetness there that I can't identify. It's not grape, it's not it's not raisin, it's not I always say there's that generic juicy tobacco sweetness like a red man chewing tobacco. It's not that. I don't know what it is. It's just a really subtle sweetness. Not subtle. It, it it's a pronounced sweetness yeah. that I can't identify, but it goes so well with that cedar and coffee on the draw. Man, I almost I love that the cigar is the short story figurado, but I hate it because I wish this cigar was a on. lot. Yeah,
4: yeah,
1: yeah. And I wonder how much age has played into this too. I mean, it's eleven year old cigar. We've never yeah, that's done. What a- I, that's
2: what I was asking because I'm like, you know, like now I'm getting to the back half of this, and I'm I'm starting to get a little bit more of a a chocolate to it with that coffee, but still, like I said, there's no discernible pickup. <sighs> in spice and like i said that that retro hell is just so smooth
1: completely lack of spice uh i i don't know we've never done a 10 year age cigar on the show before so i can't speak to that
4: one Uh, thing i love about uh fuente cigars is for some reason like when i get a hold of a fuente cigar there's something that happens that uh, that attaches like a story to it, and it's always odd because you know they're called the short story. Uh, we were in our honeymoon at uh, at Disney World, and my wife's a huge Disney World fan, and you know she goes nuts when we we're there and I'm a big kid and I go nuts there so we Disney World are butts off from day 1 till day 3, day 5 and day 7. We're just nonstop going. And at this time there's like no place to have a cigar, you know, on the resorts uh but where we were staying at one of the resort places they had I found a little humidor there. They had little, little short stories. It was it was your normal, almost like a gas station type humidor where your your normal suspects are gonna be there. But I saw that short story and I'm like, oh, damn it, give me the short story. And I went out and there was like this one lone bench overlooking this lake. And I had that freaking Hemingway short story. And yes, it happens so fast. They they're they're so short that they're they're consumed so fast. And I just remember mm-hmm. being like, God, I I wish this wouldn't stop. I wish this moment wouldn't stop, and that's what I like about them.
1: Those little moments are are precious. Maybe you can equate a cigar with a moment in time.
4: I and the made good thing him, is, is that we're early in this. We're early in this show, so this moment doesn't have to stop.
1: Well, I made uh, homemade chili, my mother's homemade chili recipe tonight. Fall is finally. It's cold in the mornings. It's 90 in the afternoon, but in the mornings it feels like soup weather. I made some chili, and it brought me back. I told uh, my wife at dinner, and I was like, "What is the most memorable bowl of chili you've ever had?" And she's like, "That's the stupidest. Like,
0: I don't know.
3: Uh, this one."
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ass- Ass-
1: Ass- Ass-
3: I'd on, have with your wife on that response.
1: <laughs> and I said it was on our honeymoon in Lake Tahoe. We took this boat ride, like a three-hour tour of the lake. Uh, on our honeymoon of Lake Tahoe and there was a little restaurant at the bottom of this tugboat or wherever the hell we were in uh, and they had cups of chili and I remember sitting there looking out the lake at the, at the window eating this bowl of chili and dude she had no memory of that boat, the chili anything Honeymoon. But, <laughs> but like Tut with his Disney World cigar it it meant that little moment meant something to me and yes, doctor, she remembered we had a honeymoon.
3: <laughs> Sorry, had to take my shot. I've been giving a you a lot, Shot well taken.
1: A lot. I will take it. I I will gladly accept it. So that's it. No, I I totally get that, Tut. Uh, there's certain cigars. We'll keep it to cigars. There's certain cigars that just you can equate with a moment in time. I equate uh the Cao America, the original barber pole I smoked out in my driveway. 10 years ago, before I had, you know, anywhere indoors to smoke, and I was just kind of starting. I remember sitting out in the back of my truck smoking that cigar and getting some flavors, and I'd never really gotten any real flavors before, and it blew my mind. I'll always remember sitting out in that driveway smoking at CAO America and getting some flavors. So whenever I go back to that cigar, I've got that kind of cool little memory of it. It's it's what separates us from the squirrels, boys. <laughs>
4: So do we want to talk- you think they have any you think they have any cool acorn memories?
1: What's your coolest acorn memory? No, they're squirrels, they're 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 fools. Oh. but I don't see this lasting much longer, so while we could so we can move on into the film. Oh by the way, the beer worked beautifully with it.
3: Oh,
4: really
1: yeah. yeah. Um do you guys wanna guess price point? Again, it's kind of irrelevant on this cigar.
4: 3295
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can't say that. I'm probably going to go, I mean, just the rarity if you say they don't do it very often. And I'm going to base this off of today's prices, not 10 years ago, 11 years ago, whatever.
1: That's what I'm going to
2: say.
1: I did today's prices.
2: So, I'm probably going to put it right around 15 or 16.
1: If you can find them out in the wild, when they push them out there, again your best bets probably at Caesar's Palace at the Fuente Lounge, 18 bucks. Okay. If you can find them, which is extremely hard to do, um, and remember, well, they stock at Famous check there. They, it's on their website. They do have a, a, a page <laughs> for them. But if you want to Buy some short stories or some other Arturo Fuente cigars. Type in your new favorite promo code, TNCC20, at checkout, and it will knock $20 off your purchase of $100 or more. That's 20%, right, Tut? That is $20. You're a math expert now. $20 off 100 is 20%. That's a really cool, the best in the business discount. So go do that now.
4: Yes, and especially if these things pop up, buy it twice on Sunday. I mean, it is that good.
1: Oh, absolutely. Well, these Channel 12 buttheads aren't as smart as they think they are because within minutes they're completely lost in the middle of a cornfield. Doctor, do you recognize Bobby the cameraman? Yes, I did. Ray
0: is
3: from the program.
1: He's running back Ray Griffin from the program, one of our favorite football films of all time. They climb up on top of the van to get a better vantage point, see where the hell they are, and all of a sudden there's a huge gust of wind, earth trembling thunder, and a giant ominous black cloud directly over them. From behind the cornrows, we can see that they're being watched. I don't have a good feeling about this. I don't like it, Bobby says. Yeah, let's get out of here, the newsman yells. But when they get back in the van, it won't start, and corn husks are smacking against the windshield, as the vehicle rocks back and forth from the wind, the reporter says inexplicably, get out of the van! What? Get out of the van now! Is that, uh, no? Okay. So the dudes exit the safety of the van and immediately Bobby gets sucked into the corn where he's zapped by blue lightning bolts and a corn husk slashes his throat. The news reporter guy decides to get back in the van, you know, the one he just Told the other guy to get out of.
4: Your only form of protection.
1: <laughs> where he instantly sees a cornstalk hurtling towards him like a sharpened spear, and rather than ducking down beneath the dashboard, he yells "No!" for five seconds, allowing this thing to crash through the windshield and puncture his neck. I kind of feel bad for poor Bobby, the the camera guy, but his boss was a total moron. So, the less of them out in the world, the better. Am I right?
3: Early nineties horror, gotta love it. Early nineties
1: horror. You know who aren't total morons, boys? Who? That? That's right. I'm talking about the cigar-making geniuses over at Drew State. Oh. Because it takes a genius-level mind to concoct a cigar as special as the highly complex, masterfully blended Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve barrel-fermented cigar from Drew State. The Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve barrel-fermented cigar is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Gran Fabrica Drew State in Esteli, Nicaragua. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything else on the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small torquettes or bundles of tobacco to you noobs out there, which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Water is then added while immense pressure is applied to the torquettes via railroad jacks. We're going to see some of these jacks (laughs) Oh, yes, we are. At Mrs. Burke's house later. The tobacco is removed two, three times per year, shaken out, then repacked. My God, watching these guys do this process is fascinating in education, to say the least. It made me
4: feel less of a man.
1: Oh, it certainly did. But you said that about when we went to Hooters. Yeah. Yeah. The total process of fermentation takes 18 months leaving a truly unique flair profile and aroma. The Pappy Van Winkle's Family Reserve Barrel Fermented is now available at brick-and-mortar Drew Diplomat retailers everywhere. Seek them out. Go get them. Well, as luck would have it, just as Garrett and Bobby, or Danny, are pulling into town, sexy innkeeper Angela and her new teenage foster son That was no hesitation. I'll take a kid. uh, Are walking down the street. She doesn't want to answer any Garrett's reporter questions, but when he reads her T-shirt very slowly.
4: I was about to say, the way that camera panned down and hung there, I was
1: like, oh. It just hovers (laughs) on her titties on that T-shirt, and she admits it pays to advertise. He reads, her T-shirt says, the come sleep with me bed and breakfast, and he immediately asks for a room.
3: Do you think that there was a bond between Garrett and the innkeeper because they had the same haircut? Possibly,
1: uh-huh. yes. <laughs> it was the 90s, Doctor. It was well,
3: that it, 90 little well, pixie it was the cut. It was... They both had a haircut like Ringo Starr.
4: <laughs> it was the 90s. Ringo Starr's haircut did not look this good. Or should I say Ringo Starr did not look this good in a haircut? The Ringo pretty good-looking dude. I think you're right on both counts.
1: That night at the bed-and-breakfast uh, dinner, Garrett attempts to get some information out of Micah, her teenage, her new teenage foster son. But he says, Quietly, all I saw was the corn. Perhaps given that all the kids Look, are Look, you fixated- little
4: bastard. Give me something else.
1: No, he doesn't go there. Oh. But my thought was, was, perhaps given that all the kids are fixing it, all these psycho kids are fixated on corn... Maybe Angela could have put a tray of asparagus or maybe broccoli on the table. Did you see she had that huge,
3: that huge tray of corn on the table? It's growing it's a, right across the street. What the hell? You're
4: in Nebraska, man. It's going it, to, it's like going down to the ocean. Everywhere in Gatlin,
1: food. it's everywhere in Gatlin where all these people are killed. It's kill anyone who harms the corn. Protect the corn. And she's like,
3: dinner's ready. Here's your corn she doesn't know that. She probably built the bed and breakfast on money she made from farming an acre of corn.
1: That's so much, right. so much corn. Angela asks what newspaper Garrett writes for, and Danny is all too happy to tell her that his loser dad is a ragman for the World Enquirer. Garrett...
3: her the daily cornhole. Garrett, <laughs>
1: well, Garrett, Garrett sheepishly says... Yeah, I used to work for Newsweek, but I thought the editor was an idiot, and so now, you know, it is what it is.
2: <laughs> okay. Uh,
1: yeah, that's
2: a something-something that's a answer. Yeah.
1: I used to work for a reputable place, and then I I don't work there anymore.
4: <laughs> Danny cuts <laughs> another crack. Your answer leaves a whole lot to question. Well...
1: She's used to talking to corn folks, so I think she's just happy to have a a guy guy with a a guy with a similar haircut and a sensible pair of dockers to (sighs) chat with at the supper table. Danny cuts another wisecrack at his dad's expense, and Garrett drags him outside. He tells the teen, look, this might be my favorite father-son moment in 124 episodes. Oh, it's classic. Look, kid. Me and your mother, we tried to make it work, but we had different agendas, okay? And those didn't include me, Danny asks? No, they didn't. As a matter of fact, Danny, they didn't. Now, I'm not going to bullshit you about this. I was 17 years old, and I made a mistake. Now, you deal with that any way you can.
4: My God.
1: The honesty. (laughs) The brutal honesty. And all of a sudden, Tut and I are like, hey, maybe our childhoods weren't that bad. (laughs) <laughs> Holy shit, and he was our hero.
3: What about the fact that he claimed that he was only seventeen years old when he had this kid making him thirty four right now? Oh, no, was- I'm gonna get to that
1: dude here it comes, doctor. <laughs> I was seventeen years old, and I made a mistake. All right, keep that in mind. I think it's safe to say Danny's been much better off without this ragman in his life all these years. I think that's uh, okay statement if Garrett fathered Danny when he was 17 that would make him 34 in this movie and that's clearly bullshit and I did the math I looked him up actor Terrence Knox was 46 when they did this movie 34 my ass give me a break we're okay doctor 90s horror
3: movie 90s horror
1: Well,
4: Danny's heard enough of his
1: his father's
4: quote-unquote. I was just about to say, if there ever comes a time where people like, you know, if Gen X becomes like the new boomers and it's like, okay, Gen X, and if they're ever asking like, why are you guys so screwed up? Just show them this one clip. Just this one (laughs) clip.
1: This was five out of six uh, father-son talks in the early 90s. (laughs) You pussies. (laughs)
4: <laughs> you call us fucking snowflakes no this is what we went through uh, actually again my parents are going what the fuck you didn't go through that if our parents watch this
1: podcast we would stop doing it a long time ago <laughs> well, as i said danny's heard enough of the fatherly pep talk so he grabs his duffel bag understandably and walks down to the nearest bus stop to wait for the first ride out of there. We again see that demonic POV of he who walks behind the rows watching Danny from behind the corn. It looks like a very low budget predator.
2: It totally does. I was like yeah. I was waiting to hear some clicking noises or something just but
1: they do use that same kind of graphic in the in the first movie for stuff so it kind yeah. of fits. Uh, Maybe
4: I would have I would have rather seen some like Cameras with a couple of, uh, you know, light corn stalks in the foreground to know that you're behind there. And then I would love to have actually seen the actual. Shot. God, God, God. You're and looking,
3: then
1: for, you're, you're looking for more mise scene in Children of the Corn 2, the final harvest.
3: Touch. Little... Danny, Danny is wearing a shirt that just says New York that clearly can't identify it as Mets or Yankees. Do you think they had money in the budget for the
4: shit you're talking about? No, it uh,
3: dude. Position. Get position
4: position your camera at like two or three rows back. All you gotta do is unlace your shoes, take the shoestrings, wrap it around the first two corns, and then pull them back to have the opening effect. Well they, they, they have do, hire me to go ta cha ta, ta, ta. They actually ta, do that. Ta, ta,
1: ta. In the first film they actually do that when Peter Horton goes looking for Linda Hamilton. They actually and it's
4: effective. Yeah, they actually spread the
1: the the stalks of corn. It's
4: he who but It's he who walks, saying, "Come on in." Yeah. And I'm sorry. They should. This would have been. That would have been a perfect time to introduce the. Ah, ah, ah. You are talking about one of the most iconic horror themes in the entire IP of horror, and you totally missed the ball by not using it in this movie. maybe
1: maybe, maybe they didn't have permission.
4: That's the only thing that that's the only thing that would excuse it is that they yeah, maybe, didn't. And I and I I think you're right because anybody that any sound design or or music design that does not incorporate that iconic theme they
1: would have they would have just whiffed. They would have gladly grabbed onto that if they were able to. So I
4: hear that theme in my head and I start getting spooked out. Like even yeah, right no, here in this group. You're right.
1: The original Children of the Corn score was beautiful. I agree.
4: All right here. But just then,
1: a very cute blonde teenager named... I didn't named-
4: know I was that passionate about the children of the corn <laughs> thing. <laughs> Apparently
1: you, you are. You saw sons of I like it. It's like Tut. It's not tubular bells, hun. Okay? Cha-ching. It's a bunch of kids. All right, sorry. Moving on. A, blonde, a very cute blonde teenager named Lacey pulls up on her moped wearing a white sports bra and some acid-washed denim overall shorts. Go
3: on. 92, baby. Uh Uh-huh. Which,
1: which ironically, is what the doctor was wearing when we went and saw this in the theaters in 92. Uh,
4: She flirts with him a little bit. Don't feel bad, Doc. I wasn't in the acid-washed shorts, but I was definitely in the acid-washed jeans. I'm still waiting
3: for that box of Everlasting Gobstoppers. Somebody said they were going to buy me in the theater lobby. <laughs> oh,
2: the tension builds. No, no, no caps.
1: Lacey flirts with Danny a little bit and regretfully informs Danny as she rides off on her moped that the next bus won't be here until next Tuesday, so he's got to track it back to Dad's place. It's nighttime now at the bread Br- Bed and breakfast. As Garrett is talking to his micro cassette recorder, all the adults are dead. You have the kids. You have the corn. Why? My question is, why did he turn the tape recorder on? He was afraid he was going to forget those key facts.
3: It's called research. <laughs>
1: We've got corn. We've got kids. And communication. <laughs>
2: what the fuck? I'm going to go to bed. I'm going to forget what I was thinking about. So I, What was I, my thoughts last night? I think
1: I think his investigative news article's complete. He's got, got everything he needs.
4: World Enquirer log 1.235. <laughs> I'm about to come sleep with me in. There's corn. Kids. Hey. Hey. Hey, Woodward and Bernstein.
3: (laughs) I'm I'm staying in this goddamn motherfucking bed and breakfast. (laughs) The bitch served me corn. There's corn all over the goddamn place. Fucking kids talking about the goddamn corn. Swear to Christ. My son's an asshole. Ran out of the bus stop. I don't give a shit. Well,
1: Garrett hears hears Micah's voice outside calling out to Mordecai and Jebediah from out in the thick cornfield. We then join Micah and his flashlight out there as he searches the field for his friends. But while he doesn't find them, a growling, angry he-who-walks-behind-the-rose unfortunately finds Micah. After a brief chase, the teenager is zapped with blue bolts of electricity before being totally consumed by he-who-walks-behind-the-rose. And I do mean totally consumed. We see Micah fall down into this existential red hellish abyss where he's broken apart into a bunch of molecules and then black globs of pure evil attach themselves to Micah's cells, overtaking them with eventually everything molding back together to form a human being once again, just before Micah spit back out into the world. Tut, you are taking some science classes I probably should have left that to you to explain that whole bizarre
4: sequence. Were those molecules?
2: <sighs> those yes. are little tiny corn kernels.
4: Yeah, uh, he was actually broken down into a whole string of uh, monosaccharides. And then uh, what I am guess is that he who walks behind the roads uh, <laughs> actually participated <laughs> in a bit of hydration reaction to break those <laughs> monosaccharides apart. Then I did a little bit of a hydrolysis to re-inject him with the black glue, reform the monosaccharides into polysaccharides, which came into a whole bunch of tissue development and spit him back into it. And guess what, boys? I didn't need to see any of that.
1: It's like monosaccharides. Tut's all of a sudden Dr. Fauci with a serious alcohol problem. Am I right? Huh? <laughs>
4: Monosaccharides, you say? Okay. Well, you... yes, it's the smallest form of uh, carbohydrate. Okay. I'm sorry, I... I didn't need to. I didn't need to see any of this. This, this I... was like, hey, oh, we, dude, we just watched seeing... that. <laughs> we, no, dude, this doctor, was like dude, we just I've we just that. watched that cool show uh, Lawnmower Man. Now look at what we're going to do with that kind of effect.
1: Oh yeah, because. I'm going to give you a little brief uh, insight into horror fans in the early 90s. T- Nobody thought Lawnmower Man was cool. The short story was fucking awesome. Oh, I movie- thought it was good. The movie was total shit. I it was kind and of- only D&D nerds who like seeing Pierce Brosnan pixelated thought that was anything worth watching, uh, which it wasn't. Uh, no, I love – dude, at least they went for it, right, Doctor? I mean, they showed – because we never saw in the first one Isaac – he got sucked down behind the rows and spit back out. We never saw what happened. Granted, the graphics are cheesy. It's it's the early 90s. Yeah. But to, but to see him that was state of the art back then. To actually, see him get pulled apart. Well, no, not really, because T2 happened this time. So we're seeing like state of the art James Cameron shit. <laughs> and then we're seeing strange. poor we're seeing poor little uh, Mica, just little blobs of uh, you know. But Doctor, I I like this little scene. Did you?
3: Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't hold up, obviously, but they were trying to, you know, demonstrate the fact that, you know, that uh Micah maybe wasn't a bad kid, but there's That's know,
2: there's-
1: that's the important part, Doctor. That's the important part is as he's going through this, he's screaming and he's crying and he's not a bad kid and when these black little globs overtake his sacra carbohydrates or whatever the hell Tatsama, that's what makes him a bad kid.
4: And this and, and actually, both of you are i I agree with both of you in that sense because as we'll we'll find out later on why why I think you're both right,
1: okay, well, I'll keep moving then the other Gatlin kids are all sitting around a campfire while well, this is going on in the middle of the cornfield, bickering about what should be their next move. Jebediah is frustrated. Isaac told them three years ago or whenever this happened, whenever the, or no two weeks ago, whenever the Like last week. Yeah. That when all the adults were dead, they'd finally see the truth. And I'm only seeing two things here, corn and more corn, stupid old corn. He says, I can get dude, you're a teenager in a small town. You get frustrated by shit. If your whole life is around corn, you're going to say that shit.
2: Stupid ass corn. But quite literally, like, seven days ago, you were slaughtering an entire town. <laughs> Jeez, what's going on now, F- fucking lame man? <laughs> stupid corn. <laughs>
1: my, I cut off my mom's head. Now I'm just looking at all this stupid corn. Mordecai is holding his ground. He says, it was written that a leader will come from the corn and make us one again. And you can tell by Mordecai's facial expression, he didn't like Jebediah calling the corn stupid one bit. Just as Jebediah starts to gather the younger kids and head out, Micah enters the clearing with a booming, No! He who walks behind the road shall not allow it! And now Micah, with that booming voice and his new pitch black, his pupils are all black and fired up. Man, he starts preaching to the kids, Telling them they were right in killing their parents because all adults are evil and that there's a great power within all of them, they just don't know it. Or as he says, you know it not. They have eyes, but they see it not. They have ears, but they hear it not. Stupid old ears, Jebediah says.
0: No, he doesn't really say that.
1: <laughs> it would have been funny though if he said that. Did. Stupid old ears. However
2: start talking that way. I like the figure. That they should have just panned oh, over the camera over to him. He's got two ears of corn over here. Like,
1: hey, I like Jebediah. He questions things.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Is, who's Jebediah? Huh? Who's Jebediah again? The redhead? Uh, no, he's
1: the the kid who just wants to give up and go live a normal life.
4: Oh, okay. Well, who's the redhead, the enforcer guy?
1: Oh, that's that's a Mordecai.
4: Okay, Mordecai.
1: However, like all effective preachers, Micah informs them that he personally has seen the light that comes from the corn. And he who walks behind the rows commands that they rid the land of all that defileth the corn.
4: Except he actually has seen the light. He or the tell- darkness.
1: The darkness. He tells his friends that there's work to do before he who walks behind the rose cometh. So they all need to go home and wait for a sign. Let me ask you this. Is defiling the corn eating it?
2: I don't know, but has anyone explained to the kids they live in the state of Nebraska that pretty much just grows and harvests
4: corn? No, we'll, fi- we'll find out exactly what defiling the corn is later okay. on.
1: Oh, are you going to explain the whole corn thing in the warehouse yeah. to me? Yeah,
4: okay. absolutely.
1: Okay. I need somebody to because I didn't get it.
3: Okay. Huh. I thought that was maybe another euphemism, like, hey, baby, what do you say we go defile the corn?
4: <laughs> That's the, uh, hey, baby, why don't we go shuck the corn? I mean, then, there you
3: go. What did you do last night, Nancy? Uh, me and the missus went and defiled the corn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Most vigorously, Jotty. Ow! Oh ow, ow, ow. The next morning, Garrett heads out to interview old Mrs. Burke. Remember her? Remember when she screamed that she was taking her house and leaving town? Well, this crazy bitch is actually taking her house and leaving town. It's up her, on Jack's. Her giant two-story house is hoisted up on bricks and Jack's in preparation to move it. It's not just enough to leave town.
4: She's taking her fucking house and getting out of there. I, I'm just saying she must got a lot of load of corn money because that ain't that ain't cheap to pull up that thing. Well, you would think maybe reporter extraordinaire
1: Garrett would ask her about that. Uh, spoiler alert: He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't take anything as he approaches her house of the half dozen kids dressed in Amish clothes, led by Micah, standing stoically in her shoulder front
4: row. shoulder to shoulder. just he walks.
1: He walks looking. right by him. He doesn't even see him. Ace reporter.
2: Starting to figure out why he's doesn't he look at that them. He doesn't the cri- notice them. He doesn't say how. Oh, oh, hey, guys, how's it going?
4: No, he hey, just that, fucking hey, that walked. Kid just that, kid, right by. that kid lives in... I know that kid. He lives in my bed. Nope. I had dinner with you last night.
1: The crazy old bird bursts out her front door, shaking a broom in the children's direction. You want answers? She tells Garrett. Your answers are out there, as she points to the kids. They're terrible things. Have you ever seen evil... It works through the children. You see, Miss Burke used to be a school teacher in Gatlin until she realized her students were pure evil based on their pure evil crayon drawings. And she tried to tr- tell everybody, but nobody would listen to her. That tracks. Plus on top of that, she tells Garrett, her husband walked into a cornfield 15 years ago and never came back. More proof she says that the corn is evil and doing
3: things maybe he now was I, just tired of her and had a few one night <laughs>
1: doctor i'm gonna make an educated guess here that her missing husband had nothing to do with he who walks by the rose he's living under a new identity selling used cars in lincoln am i right
3: yeah i think i think he just he was listening to her wail on and on one night he got up walked into the corn walked out the My other lord side.
1: can you imagine being married to this loudmouth? You fucking leave your cigarette butt outside. You dirty bastard!
4: Oh, Jesus. Man, touch sure is hitting the corn whiskey these days. Have you have you seen her? What a windbag. Having
3: dinner tonight, honey. Oh, I suppose you'd like to eat more corn. <laughs> That's evil.
2: Evil corn.
3: Okay. I tell you what, I'm going to go for a walk.
2: you know also the thing that this was the thing that that bothered me so this is supposed to be in another town 19 miles away so she showed up in Gatlin on a bicycle yeah so she would have had to have biked her ass
4: over 19 miles.
2: No no I I think she she recognized the evil in
1: Gatlin moved to Hemingford into Moved that, her
4: house moved her house
1: uh, to to
4: Yeah, her. obviously she's not afraid to she move left, the house. He lifted yeah, her house. See, you your
3: questions are evil. He's a monster. Kill the one called Yax.
1: She lifted that fucking house from Gatlin to Hemingford and now she's
2: moving it again. Which all again confirms. Well my question that her is, husband, she had? has she already moved the house from Gatlin? Yes. Does that mean she would have biked her
4: ass nineteen miles?
2: Well oh, they're there Nebraskans. To block I mean they're the hardy bus. No,
4: they're Nebraskans, no. they're hardy folks.
1: Oh dude, no, I think Yax has a has a actually a, a very salient point here. She's living in Hemingford. When we first saw her, she rode that bike in front of the bus in Gatlin. Yes, Yak, she did ride her bike 19 miles to fucking yell at people. She was the so, original
2: I mean. Was the original Karen. There's there's a level. I was like, I always say this, the old live longer because they have more spite. Yeah. She's so full of spite. She rode 19 miles on that fucking bike
4: in I that guarantee. polyester workwear to give those people the business. I guar—I guarantee you, her husband hit that corn row, saw that corn stalk split apart. He who walks behind the row showed up, and that guy was like, yeah, you're cool. Have you seen what I left?
3: I was going to slit your throat open with his ear of corn, but you know what? You've had a pretty rough go of it. Grand Isle, Nebraska is 27 miles down that road, that direction. You just get on. You just... Follow I, that four star there, you'll be fine.
4: I, two, two things. Nothing I can do to scare you, bub. Two things. I love yeah, he who walks. Walk. Shit, I, I
1: love he who walks beyond the rose, giving Mr. Burke directions, <laughs> and feeling sorry for him. Two. I love Yagboy Boy pointing out her polyester outfit that she got at <laughs> Wieners or wherever the hell she got it at. <laughs> Montgomery, I guess 90s would be Montgomery Ward, probably. yes,
2: it would be Montgomery Ward. Well, technically, this is still 84. Yeah, That's true. Technically,
4: That's technically, true. Yeah.
1: This, this, this is a period piece. Hey, look at us, we're classy, we're doing a period piece. But I still want to know what kind of person bikes 19 <laughs> miles in there to bitch of to bitch people.
3: Well, the, again, it, we
1: live in central Texas, I know this woman. I've seen this woman.
3: It's a, it's a good <laughs> point, but if you really want to get into it, they do a lot of, of just pretending that that whole Hemingford 19 miles away from Gatlin thing doesn't really exist. Yeah. So in other words, uh, the chick with the bed and breakfast, she's in Gatlin because she's standing right there. The bus leaves town, but she takes Mike in with her. And she walks all right, Mike. The next day, all those kids are in Hemingford. They, re- they really tried to just yeah. sort of ice over that.
1: Yeah, because, no, when he pulls back into Hemingford, they're walking. It's like, oh, you walk with your new foster son 19 miles? And you notice that Angela was carrying his backpack? The very healthy teenage boy, she's carrying his, sh- his luggage.
3: These are she's things that in 1992, 93, when you're watching this movie, that they're expecting you to just not care okay. about
1: Well, listen, despite all this, having said all this, the actress playing Mrs. Burke, her name is Marty Terry, is absolutely perfect in this film. And let's be honest, Mrs. Burke, as annoying and hilarious as she is, is the only character who gets it right. She's actually dead right on with what's going on here with these kids. She doesn't have the best method of delivering that news, But she's the only one that actually is woke to what's going on here. So bravo, Miss Marty Terry. Oh, and by the way, as she's saying all this shit about the kids and the corn and all this, Ace Reporter Garrett doesn't pull out his tape recorder and record any of that or write any of what she says down. In fact, he gets in his car and says, oh, boy, that was a mistake talking to her, he tells Danny.
2: Dude, she gave you so much juicy stuff and you you literally just told you everything. She told you everything. But but my favorite the whole thing and the whole scene right there is uh, she turns around to find that they've marked her house. God damn it! You kids! Mrs. Burke sees that someone
1: or something has smeared a cross, a crucifix, onto her porch wall using some type of dark green paste. And she flips her lid again. When is her lid not flipped? Did John- damn you! Damn you! Oh! As she grunts and grumbles while trying to clean the goop off with a soapy bucket, Micah tells the others, again, they're all just standing there in her front yard, Garrett didn't notice them, that the cross was not put there by human hands. Finally, it is the sign they've been waiting for since the... We've been waiting for it since last night. <laughs> it was last night like he will send a sign right. oh great there it is let it begin he tells a smiling Mordecai what were you going to say
4: y'all y'all seriously didn't pick up on the significance of the green goop well I did
1: later when we saw it all over the corn
4: exactly and then
2: alright alright keep going keep going
3: okay. the first time I saw this movie I had no idea what it meant
2: yeah, I, I, I'm just, yeah, I'm just. Know, the other thing was, is like, you know, Mordecai looks over and he's like, is this our sign? And I was like, he's already been into the hellish dimension, stripped apart, rebuilt. And he, then he's like, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. This, F- fuck yeah. Why not? That, there it is. It's, it's sign. Hey, a bird just shit on that
1: mailbox. Is that the sign? Yes. <laughs> That's usually how that thing works. I'll tell you this though, boys. In the first film, Isaac had the perfectly cast Courtney Gaines as his second-in-command, Malachi. And sadly, I think Micah's pretty good in this film.
2: I but he's was great.
1: But he's teamed up with a real plank of a co-star this time around. What a missed
4: opportunity! I thought Mordecai should have been way cooler. This guy blew. Yeah. Why? But, I mean. Uh, did you have to make him a redheaded kid? I mean, you're just screaming he he like you're... Red. He wasn't redheaded. he
2: He's not a blonde
4: Yeah, no, he was red no, like brown hair. No, that was red.
2: That was red. That was red. And I can agree with Tut, man. That was a red hair.
4: Yeah, and, and that was... They, they oh, trying,
2: was... they were trying to recapture the, the Courtney element. More to cut. Exactly. With, no, exactly.
4: The pumpkin pie
3: haircut. not like Garrett <laughs> chick run the, the bed and breakfast. Yeah, that's what I'm
4: talking yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, the big stocky kid, redhead, short little haircut, and I was just I like, get
3: red out
4: of that. I was like, why do you? I mean, is the reason why you cast him because there's really no reason to cast this kid other than he had redhead and he was a big and boy. I, I,
1: I didn't physically uh, associate him with Malachi at all. I didn't think he had red hair.
4: And no, he he did, and I was just like, no, go opposite of that. Don't, what don't Malachi red hair. I was like, don't 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 make me think of Courtney Gaines and what this kid's not Courtney Gaines. Well, you never know, go somebody different. I never, I never for one second thought of Courtney Gaines. Oh nobody no, would but ever that, but that's what they were wanting you to do. You had you had Micah who all of a sudden started dressing in black just like the other kids. Isaac. Then you had this redhead kid right next to him who was his enforcer. And I was just like
1: Oh, man. And Doctor, were, were we watching a different film? That guy's I, not a redhead.
3: I thought Mordecai's hair was like a dirty blonde color. Yeah, it was like a
4: dirty brown. I got red. But, it was red on my screen. But thank yeah, you, Doctor. I, I got the same thing. Thank you, I Doctor.
1: Redhead. From now on, I will be referring to Tut's haircut as a pumpkin pie haircut.
4: <laughs> there ain't no pumpkin pie with this
0: hair, haircut, dude. <laughs>
4: Well,
1: Father of the Year Garrett tells Danny to explore the town a little bit. Despite the lingering presence of deathly, silent, evil teenagers everywhere,
4: go have fun. Yeah, that same pack that was just right outside that that one, ladies? That that tracks. I want you to go hang out with those kids. Have we ever...
3: character's written so terribly, because when he says, or, or when he says, like, he tells them to stick around or whatever, and Danny's like, there's nothing here. Well, how do you know that? Huh? It's like, fucking look around you, man. <laughs>
4: just look around. There's oh, no, two blocks no, no, to but, this no, town. That's
1: a, that's a total absentee dad thing to say. Just, you know, just shit on... Sh-
3: I, re- I really need to get rid of you right now so I can go do w- my thing.
1: Wash it. I got a, a serious question to ask you guys right now. Have we ever, in 123 prior episodes, ever featured a movie that had a main hero slash protagonist, this damn unlikable. Like, there's always been something to latch on to with our heroes and our protagonists that we, even if they're damaged or problematic, we like them. This guy's an asshole of... He's clueless. He's a bad father. He tells his kid that he doesn't give a shit about him. Figure it out for yourself, you son of a bitch. He's a loser. I think this might be our worst protagonist, yeah, protagonist
3: ever. Even in the original film, Peter Horton and and Linda Hamilton have a you're you're rooting for them.
4: Well, even the even in the uh, sci-fi episode, the couples that's fighting all the time. I mean, you're still rooting for them. It's annoying because they're they get.
1: You get annoyed by them because of their fighting, but it's realistic, and you you still don't want to see them. Yeah, get...
4: this guy. This, it, yeah, I agree. This guy's flat. There's nothing <laughs> redeemable about him. He's just an asshole. I'll say this: if the writers
3: had intended it that way, then it's excellently done. Yeah. If they were we're gonna make this a situation <laughs> where it's a guy with a Gen X son, they probably weren't saying Gen X. And, well, they were back then, even we're in the middle of it, but. If they're like, "This is what we want to have. We want to have a situation where this guy's a butthead dad, and 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 that it's in that case, it's actually
4: that's that's actually a good point. You know, there might have been because I do believe that there is that amount of layers to this story. Uh, I I I hadn't I hadn't thought about it that way, man. But what screenwriter is going to be be like? But what screenwriter is going to be like? Oh, it's a horrible decision. Our
1: main protagonist is going to be a total douchebag.
4: Yeah, it's a horrible decision, but I think it is an intentional decision. <laughs> yeah, I I agree I I kind of now the doctor put it to words. I kind of agree with that. I kind of I'm, I'm latching on to that theory. Well,
1: they did go on to do Bordello blood, so uh
4: <laughs> Yeah, they did. Take away
3: from your enjoyment of this movie? Doesn't no, make. but
1: uh, but but it it did really honestly strike me as odd how much I disliked the hero. You don't Because here's the thing. Terrence Knox as an actor can't pull that off. Halloween 3, Tom Atkins is an alcoholic doctor who ignores his ex-wife, treats his kids as a second thought.
4: That's
1: because you have to have a redeemable thing. leaves work to go off and chase this young piece of ass and all that. But guess what? They... Tommy Lee Wallace made it to where Tom Atkins became a hero from that. Yeah. This guy. Here's the movie where the guy, he's got an asshole son. He's got a shit job. He ends up nailing a really hot, sexy innkeeper. A good screenwriter could have made that guy into the new Tom Atkins, but he doesn't. He just makes him into a totally unlikable monster.
3: But, again, if you wanted to say it's an odd choice, perhaps, but what we don't know is if it was a choice – and yeah. If it wasn't choice, the then it's well executed. Yeah. I, I think they did really I
1: think they did, I, really, I
3: think I think they the did really
1: I think they did really good writing for the kids, Micah, Danny, Lacey, all that stuff. They kind of shortchanged the adult dialogue and in the end it probably bounced out okay. So obviously I like the movie, so they did all right. You mentioned the score and just how much you hold it and revere like up there with John Carpenter's Halloween score and tubular yeah. bells with X's. You're right in that it made you, it was so ethereal. And so it made you forget about a lot of the implausible shit you were seeing, how this little town of Gatlin could go off the map for three years without anybody knowing uh, you know, electric bills or distant relatives or anything, how they kept it secluded. when they would play that music, you just kind of got overwhelmed by it uh, ethereally in audio. It just kind of it, it just set this really cool tone uh, of that the he who walks behind the Rosa created this bubble around this little town. And it was, that, that score had a lot to do with that.
4: It's really my, it's, it's really in terms of, because I don't, or first of all, I, I, I know uh, there are some circles that might equate Jaws in the horror circles, and I don't equate Jaws in the horror circle. Uh, but in like the slasher flicks and all that stuff, uh, there's some really iconic sounds that are out there. For me, it is the Halloween score is the number one most iconic sound in a horror film. You know exactly what that is. It evokes it evokes emotion right off the bat. Uh, second, I will put the Friday the Thirteenth, Jason. The kill, 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 kill. God, 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 You hear that? You know exactly what's about to happen, and you know the impending doom about it. Third, I'm putting Children of the Corn. I'm sorry, but when you get that, oh. It just puts your hair just even on the back of my neck right now just doing that it it just stands it up. Uh, audible yeah. mention number 4th i I'm gonna put Freddy Krueger's uh, gliding the claws across the pipes. Uh, yeah, that's a that's about it. No,
1: yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Uh, I can only imagine they didn't have the rights to use that music but I, I did like the sound in this film I think they did a lot with a little so uh,
3: the short story actually goes into the inexplicable aspect of uh, when when Bert shows up in the town he actually says those things he's like how is it so, you know somebody had to pass through here they he had they had to have relatives they had to have that everything was just saying he's like the answer is, it just doesn't make any sense.
4: Yeah. But I think that, you know, with all good spiritual elements, uh, I have a spiritual side to me. I think that that's what the spiritualism is. It's it's the answer for things that don't make sense right then. Uh, and I I'm okay. I'm okay with suspending my disbelief when you put that spiritual element into it.
1: Well... Danny Boy hasn't walked a mile before he comes across a waterfall where Lacey is taking a moped break to wet her hair down in a skimpy bikini top. Uh, He makes himself comfortable leering at her from afar, which is exactly what any of the teenage TNCC members would certainly have done as well back in 1992. So I'm not joking, Uh, not judging or joking. (laughs) <laughs> uh, the Doctor and I saw this flick in the theater when it came out, and I'm not ashamed to admit that I fell in love with Lacey instantly. And years later in college, I would watch her every day. The actress, uh, Christy Clark, was a regular on Days of Our Lives. Um, so I would come home from my morning classes and, and watch that, and she's still gorgeous all these years later. Uh, have you seen her recently, Doc? She, she looks great. Good-looking woman. She
3: has she aged well.
1: Yeah. Anywho, Lacey finally notices Danny when his boner knocks a pigeon off the top of a telephone wire and she invites him in the water for a swim. It was
3: That's bound to happen. Impressive. I mean, if he oh. had an knocked a pigeon off a telephone wire.
1: She was quite impressive, Doctor. Yeah. <laughs>
4: uh,
1: meanwhile in town, some folks have gathered at the church to listen to Reverend Hollings preach about the dangers of fornication.
2: Fornication!
1: Fornication. Seems timely, considering what's going on over at the waterfall, doesn't it? Um, While he prays for the souls of the poor Gatlin neighbors who've just lost their lives, he can't stress enough that fornication is a pestilence that's going to get us all. It's going to get every last one of you. As he goes on and on about the dangers of heavy metal music and violent horror films a guy out in the congregation named David starts to get a nosebleed. Only, Doctor, is that an ordinary nosebleed?
3: It did not appear to be, no. It looked like he was having some sort of just terrible internal hemorrhage.
1: Well, you see, Micah is seated in the back of the room, and he's digging his pocket knife into the nose of a wooden David voodoo doll. And the more he digs, the more this poor bastard nosebleeds until eventually he's got blood pouring out of his eyeballs, his ears. As his wife hilariously digs in her purse for more Kleenex, like that's the solution, uh, David pukes blood all over her face. And as he stands and makes his way to the pulpit, begging Reverend Hollings for help, he just eventually collapses in a big bloody pile. As Dr. Appleby races over to the body, he sees Micah exit the church, dropping the voodoo doll, voodoo doll down on the ground. Doctor Appleby knows what's up. He totally saw what just happened there. No more lollipops for Micah. Uh, I thought this was a fun scene. Um, the sound design, while this dude's losing his shit and bleeding everywhere, you hear the the kids' choir thing going, uh, the giggling of children, weird religious choir music. It's just mix all that in with this guy with blood squirting out of his eyeballs.
3: I thought it was fun. Probably the more disturbing scene to watch, just because it really is a, a blood gusher. So, mm-hmm. yeah, no
4: joke about that.
1: And while this craziness is going down, at the church, kooky old Mrs. Burke is trying to find her lost cat, Elmira. These Nebraska people even name their cats weird things. Like it's bad enough you name your kids Jebediah and Mordecai. Her lost cat, Elmira. She foolishly crawls under her giant house. Even the cat, though, it's funny wanted to get away from her. Why you cat! Why are you? Uh, she foolishly crawls underneath her giant house that's suspended up on jacks for the big move to get the cat. And as soon as she, as soon as she's not nice railroad and,
4: jacks, not move there, Jack, not car jacks, <laughs> house jacks. Uh, as soon as she gets under there.
1: She sees the legs of children surrounding the house. You bastards! You dirty little bastards! Mordecai scoops up the kitty, and he switches the hydraulic press to lower down, slowly crushing Mrs. Burke.
4: They killed the cat. I, I You just see him scoop it up. You don't see him kill it. No, you hear the neck break, and it's... Yeah, I think it's pretty I'm well done. Really? I, I want to take, take a torch to, to the corn. If you never see me, he who walks behind the roads got me because I just torched that cornfield trying to burn out these little motherfuckers.
2: Yax, did you hear the little next snap? Watch. I did. This was a film of animal cruelty and I do not approve.
4: And. Agreed. So Maybe- many other hardcore horror movies don't go to the cat killing.
1: Maybe because I don't like cats, I just subliminally just passed over it. I didn't hear it. But I don't wish cat death on any cat. What a world! What a world! She screams as she's flattened into an annoying little pancake.
2: Thank Uh, you, Wizard of Oz
3: reference. (laughs) What was she planning to ultimately do with her house?
1: I think she was planning on a, a, a big flatbed to just glide underneath it and just take it to the next town.
4: It would literally be one town over. I, know, I don't, but I, I don't see the residents.
2: I mean, moving a house isn't cheap.
4: No, it, it's not. Especially, especially that's that that a side, big like house. a
2: two story, like old country style, Victorian home. Yeah. And she's just gonna, I packed my suitcases and packed up my house and I'll roll on down the road. I don't think you'd need to pack suitcases. you just, Keep everything where it is in the house. Well, you've got you got to lessen the weight of the house.
1: So her clothes is going to make that house more movable?
2: Well, she's well, a big girl. As long as she could get all the emotional baggage out, sure.
1: Oh, God. That, that would certainly lighten the load, I imagine.
3: <laughs> um,
2: Anyways, logistically, that always bothered me.
3: I, I just...
1: It does seem like an impossible task to, to move a, an old house like that without some severe structural damage. And I get pissed off getting stuck behind those those you know those mass-produced houses on the highway. Can you imagine being out behind that thing? Uh, well, back at the swimming hole, Lacey thinks it's so cool that Danny's from Long Island, New York. She hated growing up in Hemingford with nothing to do and nobody interesting to talk to. Danny says I felt the same way about Hemingford until I met you, and then he goes in for the kiss. You see, she knows all the Gatlin kids, but she never fit in with them because she always wanted to be somewhere else. And Lacey sees Danny as her golden ticket out of this cornhole. He says that he can't take her with him. I can't take you back to New York. But then she and her wet bikini top lean in for a much better kiss, sloppier kiss. And next thing you know, he's slapping a Yankees ball cap on her, shoving a Coney hot dog in her mouth. You're coming to New York with me, baby.
3: (laughs) A lot of innuendo in there. A lot of innuendo. Uh, Shoved a Coney hot dog in her mouth. Get her out of the cornhole. A lot of stuff going on there. Go Whitefish!
1: Well, his tune changes very quickly when she becomes the aggressor. Um, How could it not? He's a teenage boy, for God's sake.
4: Doesn't he have to ask that loser father of his?
1: I think she could be like just, all you have to do is kill your dad, Danny. He's like, done.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think that's how the, they got him to kill all those parents. Like, hey, I'll show you my boobs if you kill your dad. Okay.
2: How do you want it done? Figure <laughs> like Ooh. he who walks behind the road. Is, whoa, 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 whoa. This isn't me. do I'm not I'm not part of this.
1: <laughs> Look, I get blamed for a lot of shit. <laughs> <laughs> that's on you. That's on you. I'm he who is minding my own fucking business,
3: all right? (laughs) Thou who art horny is responsible for those. (laughs) Why
1: don't you talk to Danny? He grows behind the rose, if you know what I mean. Uh, All right, that's enough about Danny's penis. Over in Gatlin, Garrett is snooping around the long-abandoned elementary school. (laughs) <laughs> there's bizarre religious graffiti spray painted all over the walls, blood for corn, shit like that. There's corn husks everywhere. But even though he's carrying his trusty camera, he doesn't take any pics of this cool, you know, really scary imagery. He also hears the giggling of school children that clearly aren't there, but that isn't worthy of him pulling out his tape recorder either. In one of the classrooms, he does find some of the disturbing crayon drawings that Miss Berg told him about. And he actually snaps a photo of one of those before he's startled by the appearance of an elderly Native American man in the doorway. You scared the hell out of me, Garrett says. Who are you and what are you doing here? No, is not just like a white man. Assumes he has a right to be here and no one else does, the Native American replies. That, that rings true, sadly, doesn't it?
4: No, man- he was just scared by this dude. He's got a right to ask. Whoa, scared me. Where, who are you? Where'd you come from? He has the right to say
1: you scared the hell out of me. He doesn't have the right to demand answers. He has—he's he he's trespassing too.
4: He didn't say that you don't have the right to be here. He just wanted to know who he is. This sure
3: is a 2020 evaluation of a bit of <laughs> a dialogue that was written back in 1992, that's for damn
1: sure. <laughs> Garrett sympathizer. Garrett asked the man what he knows about all this. And he says, "Well, I know that you're you work for the World Enquirer. That you'll turn 35 in April. My ass, he will. And that you <laughs> and that you weigh 185 pounds. <laughs> I'm, I'm calling bullshit bull, bull on that too. He's a bit. <laughs> hey, he's a bit husky.
4: He's husky. Uh, he's got the husky brand on.
1: Hey, corn husk husky. Oh, <laughs> Garrett is stunned." How'd this wise Native American know all this stuff about him? Until the old man gives Garrett his wallet back. Even in a ghost town, don't leave your wallet and unlocked car, he's advised. Garrett follows the man outside. Turns out his name's Frank Redbear. And when Garrett asks if he knows anything about what happened here in Gatlin, the very kind, likable guy says, Koyaanaskatsi, it means life out of balance. My ancestors would have told you that man should be at one with the earth, the sky, the water. But the white man has never understood this. He only knows how to take. And after a while, there's nothing left to take, so everything is out of balance. And we all fall down. That also sounds sadly familiar and relevant. Wait a minute. So that's what happened here in Gatlin? A stupid Garrett asks. No. What happened in Gatlin was those kids went ape shit and killed everybody.
4: Dude. It's the same to the point.
1: I love that line. Uh,
4: I love this character. I love this guy, yeah. I, I really like the actor playing him. I like the character. Uh,
1: he's really good. I'm going to change my name on the Zoom screen to Cade Red Bear.
4: It's, he's like a modern version of the uh, Indian friend of uh, Josie Wales? So I kind of like him. Oh, Chief Joseph. Chief Joseph, yeah. Uh,
1: well, man, he's wise, he's funny, and uh, unlike Garrett, I he's likable. I really like this dude. Garrett presses him further and Frank Redbear says, the Amish say we don't inherit the land from our ancestors. We only borrow it from our children. Maybe they wanted it back. Okay. That shit's wise too. And it makes sense because it turns out that Frank Redbear is actually famed anthropologist Dr. Frank Redbear who teaches at the State University. Man, I love this character. As Dr. Redbear drives off, Garrett notices that the green crucifix goop that he wiped on his Pants, earlier at Mrs. Burke's house, ate right through his Dockers. Burned a hole right through him, this green stuff. We'll figure that
4: out. Uh, Speaking of eating, you know what one of my favorite meals of all time was, fellas? The lobster and steak in Vegas. That was really good.
1: Uh, But no... Tut, Yak Boy, and I were invited by our friends Joe Gro and Gary from Drew Estate to join them at Drago's Seafood Restaurant.
4: Ooh, I know what you're talking about now. In New
1: Orleans, the night before the Louisiana barn smoker. You're talking about can, oysters. I can, to this day, still close my eyes and taste those charbroiled oysters like I ate them last night. They were so
4: fucking good. I don't even like oysters, and they were really, first oysters really
1: good. I, they were the first oysters I ever ate,
4: and I haven't had any since. I was about to say, don't don't ever have any more. Um, but they were just so good. And why were we in
1: Louisiana, you ask? Of course. It was to learn about the magic behind the Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Barrel-Fermented Cigar from Drew Estate. The Pappy Van Winkle Family Reserve Barrel-Fermented Cigar is a long filler premium cigar rolled in limited quantities at La Grande Fabrica Drew Estate in Esteli, Nicaragua. Deep barrel fermentation is the key process that makes this expression vastly different from anything on the market. Hand-selected leaves from Kentucky are packed into small torquettes, or bundles of tobacco, uh, which are then loaded strategically into oak bourbon barrels. Water is then added while mince pressure is applied to the Torquettes via railroad jacks. Not Not house 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 jacks? jacks. Not house jacks. Not jumping jacks. (laughs) Not apple jack cereal. Railroad jacks. The tobacco is removed two, three times per year, shaken out, then repacked. This total process of fermentation takes 12 to 18 months, Longer than it takes a Nebraska mom to pop out an evil little baby out of her body, uh, leaving a truly unique flavor profile and aroma. The Pappy Winkles Family Reserve Barrel Ferment is now available at brick and mortar, Drew Diplomat retailers everywhere. And if you'd like to smoke the unique pig-sized Vitola, which in my opinion is the best, uh, head over to PappyCo.com as that's the only place you'll find it. And pick you up some Pappy uh, Pappy Van Winkle golf shirts and hats and all sorts of cool leather goods and uh, yeah, export. they
4: got their they got their new merchandise coming the sisters,
1: out now. uh The Van Winkle sisters have, have created quite a little cool little world uh, over there. So uh, get your ass to PappyCo.com, go over to Drew and support good folks.
4: Sidebar, doctor, I was in the car the other day and. Uh, was flipping around on Sirius, and all of a sudden I get to my 80s on 8, and I hear, dee, 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 dee. and I just like, Jay Giles Band! Woo! Hey Giles!
1: <laughs> uh, Jay Giles still sucks.
4: My wife looked at me and was just like, What are you doing? Jay oh, Giles! Oh, were you doing The Rich Texan? <laughs>
0: yeah.
4: I'll well, use the money that's left over to produce a musical about the Jay
3: Giles Band. Hey Giles! <laughs>
1: <sighs> good didn't, sidebar didn't the lead singer of the Jay Giles band marry Faye Dunaway
3: don't that I don't know I believe he was college roommates with David Lynch briefly
1: I want to say he actually married Faye Dunaway but I could be completely off base but how cool of a fact would that be if it was right because there's nobody actually in the band called Jay Giles right
3: Right. his name was Peter Wolf.
1: Yeah I, believe, yeah, I believe he did marry Faye Dunham, who was quite a stunner back in the day. And she was. We'll have to look that up on our next uh, commercial break. Over at Mrs. Burke's now collapsed house, you guys happy it's not going anywhere? Okay, they're just gonna keep it there
2: and. Uh, well, my question was, how are they gonna get her out now? I mean, did they like lift they the showed, house
4: back up, or they showed, just like they showed on her, on her corpse until it. No, they, they
1: show the guys digging. They're gonna they're gonna dig her out of there. Why
4: did they dig her out if it was just a button that the kid pushed to lower it? Isn't that button the same thing you push to raise it?
2: It is, but let's not get into technicalities. Oh, okay,
1: all right. Some workers are, are slowly digging her body out from under it. Uh well her twin sister shows up in a wheelchair and she ain't having none of Sheriff Blaine's sympathy. She knows damn well it was the children that killed her annoying sister. It was no hydraulic press accident. She
4: warned you. She warned all of you, you blind fools. You let the wolf in the door.
1: You idiots. You stupid idiots. She hollers as she's wheeled away past Micah and his cronies, just standing there. They haven't left since the murder. Uh, <laughs> just standing there in silence. She's nearly as likable as her twin sister, isn't she? Uh,
4: yeah, yeah, almost. She's oh, all about making uh, friends and influencing people, right. you idiots.
1: Can you imagine Thanksgiving dinner at this family's place?
4: <laughs> you <laughs> dish the
1: turkey. You dropped the green bean
4: casserole, you idiot. Pass the yams, you moron. No. Oh, Jesus Christ. I warned you about the candy yams. I warned you. <laughs> Nobody would listen. <laughs> that's horrible, though. More stuffing, you fat little piggy.
3: No wonder if he walked
4: into a (laughs)
1: cornfield. The whole family walks out into the cornfield. Well, Garrett, Danny, and Angela are also there, and they're also paying no attention to the gathering of silent, terrifying adolescent monsters led by Angela's new foster son, Micah. Garrett asks why Danny's clothes are all wet, and his son kind of smiles and explains he came uh, He came in his pants like the old faithful geyser upon kissing the hottest girl in all of Hanford. But Dad uh, doesn't like that one bit. Father of the Year doesn't like that one bit. And he orders Danny not to hang around any of those Gatlin kids. You hear me? Even though that's exactly what he told Danny to go do because he needed to have some space. Ugh. Fucker, I hate this guy. Garrett leaves. I
4: was about to say, I really have no use for him. It's amazing that your hero is this sucky.
1: Well, Garrett does what he does best—he leaves. That's nothing new for him. And Danny is left alone and frustrated and pissed off. And that's when Micah swoops in. He tells Danny, and by when he talks normal during the daytime, his his pupils aren't black, and he's kind of not as menacing and aggressive. He tells Danny, Yeah, man, I understand. I had issues with my father too. It's like when people turn nineteen, they become these hypocritical things, you know? You see folks, Micah's father beat him for listening to music and kissing girls. But then one day Micah caught his pops in bed with the farmhand's daughter sinning most vigorously, which just proves his a point. Which proves his point. Adults suck. I can go with that minus the whole mass murder and all that noise. Like, And I'm not saying go to those extent, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, grown ups are generally assholes, right?
3: It doesn't start at 19, though. You get to push that back to like 30.
1: Yeah. But I mean, I think in general, adults are hypocrites and, and self serving morons more often than not.
4: Yeah. Except us. I was about to say. I mean,. Well, of course. Yeah. It goes without saying. I figure I'm, I'm pretty much salt of the earth. 1.2
1: million YouTube fans can't be wrong, you know. Garrett heads over to Doc Appleby's office where the annoyed elderly physician has a hard time understanding how the World Inquire reporter could possibly link a simple nosebleed victim with a house falling on an old cranky muskrat. When Garrett asks Appleby if he's ever encountered a weird green mold associated with the corn...
0: The doctor gets very uncomfortable. Uh-oh.
1: When Garrett brings up Mrs. Burke's husband walking out into the corn 15 years ago and never coming back, the doctor says, oh, yeah, he walked out all right, right into the arms of a waitress in Omaha. I knew it! The more Garrett presses Appleby for information, the more tense and uneasy the doctor gets. Finally, the old doc confronts him and says, Garrett doesn't really give a damn what happened here as long as it makes for a good story. You don't know what it is to have your whole livelihood resting on the land. It changes things. It changes everything. As he's ushered out of the office, naturally Garrett doesn't write any of this down or retell it to his tape recorder.
2: He's a shitty man. Mind reader. like a steel trap, <laughs> yes. would be funny if he
4: got into his car and turned his tape recorder? Why is that the World Enquirer?
1: Ch- Children. Corn. Doctor was mean to me. I'll say this at this point. I kind of dig how the screenwriters are building a backstory to the Gatlin killings here. Between like what uh, Frank Redbear says about the Amish, the kids want their the land back from their parents to, uh, you know, you've reaped what you sowed from the land till you didn't have anything more. To what the doctor here is saying about when your whole lives are invested in what comes out of the soil, it changes your mentality. There's a lot of interesting kind of, Stuff being thrown, you know, into the the pot here, but, if, but at least they're trying. I kind of dig that. Yeah. Uh, they're tackling the culture of agriculture agriculture families. A lot of horror sequels, doctor, you can agree here, have tried with laughable or cringeworthy results to add backstory after the fact when the original film didn't give any of that kind of thought. They just kind of we, they were given the task of trying to explain some of the shit from the first film, and it's it's always horrible. Halloween six, I'm looking at you, but I thought this kind of was going somewhere and I kind of, I give him credit for that.
3: Uh, I'll give him credit for being a step above. As you said, it's not horrible and cringeworthy. It's not.
1: Uh, (laughs) And things get even more mysterious as once Garrett is gone, Dr. Appleby dials up Sheriff Blaine and tells him Garrett is getting close to the truth and we both sinned and we're both going to hell. It's a weird thing to say to somebody on the phone.
3: You said that to me a couple of days ago.
1: I, I do end every phone call with the doctor with that. <laughs> I'm like, hey, man, uh, you watching the Rangers game? Yeah. What do you think of tomorrow? You know, Cowboys, blah, blah, blah. Oh, by the way, uh, we both sinned and we're both going to hell. Talk to you tomorrow.
4: <laughs> I saw, you damn fools. I saw, I you saw damn the fools. Corn.
3: I saw the corn. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you two you you two aren't exactly uh riding off free and easy you're both sinners too
4: i saw the corn it's just gonna be my line from now on i saw the corn your
1: professor jason i like talked to you about this quiz i saw the corn i saw the
4: corn <laughs> what the hell does that mean I, it means i saw the corn
1: Hi, uh, Mr. Cade, we're reaching out to you. Uh, Jason had you listed as an as a
3: emergency client. He's been acting very iraq. You damn mom! He told you, you damn fool! Well, that would be a perfect place for you to just go, I saw the corn, and hang up the phone.
1: Yeah, make him think I'm everyone's going crazy.
3: A lot of uses to I saw the corn.
1: Well, next on his list of things to do, other than hanging out with his emotionally fragile son... Garrett teams up with Dr. Frank Redbear to go for a trek through the woods. The wise doctor takes him to a giant boulder that his people regarded as very special. You mean weird, Garrett says, because he's stupid? I swear this guy. Seriously, why would Dr. Frank Redbear, he's a doctor. Why? He has got. had to have a million better things to do than take this imbecile through the woods with
4: him. Let me see, you're going to shit all over my culture and you still want me to guide you through all this. All right. Well, he's clearly a doctor at some podunk
3: university. I mean, it's somewhere near Hemingford.
1: It was the it was Hemingford J C.
3: Yeah, so I don't know. He probably doesn't have much to do his humor in the dumb
4: bastard. Well, he's there's a better nothing man. wrong with the community college boys. No, there's not.
1: He's a Frank Redbear is a much better man than me, as he does continue to help Garrett with his story. He tells him that this rock holds special powers, and he tells Garrett a tale through the visual aid of the rock drawings in which Indian farmers grew lazy and abused their land and the children rebelled and killed them all. And that black line, you see this black line on the rock? That symbolizes a power within the corn that hasn't been realized yet. Again, Garrett takes no notes, isn't recording this. He's telling them exactly what the hell's going on here. Nope. How cool would that have been for the story? Uh, I mean, the picture
4: on. of that alone would have been pretty damn cool. Yeah,
1: no, he, he's got his camera on his neck, but he takes no pictures. Come on, you don't really believe all this bullshit, do you? The low forehead asked the university professor. Sometimes what you learn conflicts with what you know, Dr. Redbear says. And as they're chatting, they're being observed by a growling he who walks behind the rows with his predator vision from, like, the other side of the rock. He's, he's just kind of hanging out there watching them.
4: Are there rows where they're at?
3: Oh, no, see, now now he's He Who Walks along the stream. I mean, it just doesn't make sense anymore.
1: Uh,
2: he Who Hangs Out in the Trees? I mean, what I was kind of like, you know, when they started doing it this way, I'm like, wait a second. When did when did He Who Walks Behind the Rose turn into the Predator? Like He Who Babbles like the with the Brook. Look,
1: dudes, that's a name that those fucked up kids gave me. I prefer He Who just kind of goes where he wants to go. But <laughs> Isaac didn't think that was scary-sounding enough.
2: You know, if the professor all of a sudden started rubbing a little pouch underneath his shirt, looking off into the distance, it would have been nice. There's something out there.
3: Uh, I just see the corn. I just see the corn. Turns out he's Billy's uncle. It all ties (laughs) in. Oh, man.
1: How cool would that be? Uh... Later that night, Dr. Appleby is attacked in his office by the psycho children led by Mordecai. Mordecai tells him that the earth shall be cleansed of those who poison the earth and its youth as he beats him over the back with a baseball bat. Then all the little kiddos start jamming syringes into Doc Appleby before Mordecai finally finishes, off, finishes him off with a big knife in his back. Doctor, do you think Dr. Appleby, he's an older fella, can he bounce back from this? He's got like fifty syringes
3: in his body, and
1: he got hit with a baseball bat about twenty times, and now he has a
3: giant knife buried in his spine. Yeah, yeah, the knife is the key. Uh, the, the knife, the knife is the key. Uh, we don't know what was in those syringes. Uh, it could have been something poisonous. It could have just been like a little sting, like when you get a shot of something. But uh, yeah, once the once the blade goes uh, hilt deep into the into the spinal column, yeah, he, he's uh, in medical vernacular. He's uh, he's tits up at that point, yeah. Uh,
1: Any idea, Doctor, as a fellow physician, sort of, why why did Dr. Appleby have that baseball bat in his office?
3: Doctor's a fan of baseball. I mean, if you don't know, I'm not going to tell you.
1: <laughs> I thought there might be a medical reason, like maybe to knock somebody's shoulder
3: back in place. Medical
4: school immunity. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah,
3: thank you, Tut. I mean, you know. It isn't, you're not going to knock somebody's shoulder into place. It's more like kind of what to do when everything goes wrong. (laughs) I think what
1: the doctor's saying is.
3: Getting rid of the evidence.
1: What you learn at Hemingford State Medical School stays at Hemingford State Medical School.
3: Well, it does because nobody ever leaves that place when they go there. But, I mean, you just, you have a bat to sort of, uh, I don't know, we call it the troubleshooter. (laughs)
4: The troubleshooter. I like that. I like
1: that. Was the children exit the doctor's office? They all drop lollipops on his dead body. I thought that was a nice touch.
4: I did.
1: Keep your fucking lollipops. And then uh, there's uh, Jebediah, stupid lollipops.
4: And
2: <laughs> it maybe it's a little bit funnier if they have been throwing it down sugar free.
1: Sugar free, asshole. They don't cuss, though. I don't think they're allowed to cuss. He who walks by in the rose doesn't like curse words. Yeah, that's um.
4: true. Murder Over- and brutality? Cool curse words no
1: no isn't that like a lot of religions though like
4: pretty much yeah.
1: hardcore christian religions they don't let you fornicate or cuss but they're okay with some other weird crazy stuff
3: or if he who walks by in the rose is really the sort of cool character sentient being that we've made him to be in this podcast maybe it's the other way around he's like fuck if i care they just they just stop doing that on their own i don't give a shit
0: like yeah I just...
3: <laughs> i'm he who goes where i want and fucking say whatever the hell you want Right now
1: I'm he who's puffing. Right now I'm he who's puffing some grass on a Friday night, and I wish they would just keep it down with all the crazy shit. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm I'm getting
4: I'm getting onto this team. He I'm getting onto this he team.
3: Yeah. All these country girls kill themselves before they turn eighteen. How is he who walks
4: behind the rose going to get any pussy? <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't make he who walks behind the rose happy. It never no. did. Uh.
1: Yeah, I guess MILF porn wouldn't really be favored by these in these parts of the country, huh? Anything over 19 is bad news.
3: Well, certainly MILF porn is to the children of the corn. <laughs> they're...
1: Well, not the I'm talking about like the teenage boys. They're, they're not watching MILF porn. Well, it was the 80s. They didn't have MILF
3: porn. No, oh. they had barely had porn. You stole some bent-eared copy of Penthouse from
1: Hemingford Bookstore. <laughs>
3: Probably didn't have it there. Was all up in Mrs. What's her name's house, where her sicko husband, before he walked off in the corn, he probably had. Stop.
2: I, found, I found you dirty books, you son of a bitch!
1: You evil, you evil books! You know what? I'm just gonna go uh, take a walk in the corn. See you never.
2: <laughs>
1: have a nice life. What? I said see you tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Over at the come-sleep-with-me bed-and-breakfast, Garrett is putting the moves on Angela. He asks, what the hell are you doing in this podunk town? Again, shitting, what are you doing in this shithole? God, this guy's a charmer. He says, you know what, I was a big-time sales executive pulling in hundred grand a year in the city. With a penthouse condo, and I had great sex nightly with a scumbag attorney. But when her aunt B dies—literally, her aunt B—she sold everything and moved here because there's just something about it I like. You got to be kidding me!
4: I'm kind of with Garrett on this one. Uh, you've got well, all, a whole bunch of money; you could have like gone down to Barbados and just chilled.
1: Tut, or... it's a piss poor job by the screenwriters because they don't give us any reason for her to give up all that to move here.
4: We really don't need to know any of that. But, yeah, it was actually, it it
1: hurt the script because you're like, okay, what what is this magical reason you want to be stuck
4: in this cornhole? And why Uh, couldn't she have just been from the town? I mean, what's wrong with being from a little town? Yeah,
1: I was having great sex every night, making a shitload of money, my aunt died, and I just moved here. Okay. That does not track.
2: At all. Garrett says, also, was, I really needed to stop snorting all of that cocaine.
4: So I came out. here. <laughs> now that. All right. Now you get on board of that. It's the 80s.
1: I was doing Van Halen amounts of cocaine every night off my scumbag attorney's balls. And my aunt died. And I thought, you know what? I come here and dry out a little bit. And I had to pick the one town where all the kids went nuts and killed everybody. Uh,
3: Man, there's a bunch of delicious corn around here.
4: Which, To be around, fair, I picked this town on the last night of my bender, and, you know... And all the shit that's happening, I think I still
1: might be high. This is fucking crazy. All of a sudden, he who chops up the lines shows up. Angela, come to me.
3: So the fact that I'm actually thinking of going to bed with you, Mr. Garrett, really is even another <laughs> nail in that coffin. <laughs>
1: And her mom calls her to check on, how are things in Hemingford? Hey, you know those shitty uh, tabloids you get in the grocery store? I slept with the guy who writes that shit last night. But we're not there quite yet. Garrett says to her, yeah, there's something about this place that I like, too. That's Danny's line he used on Lacey. And we cut to their sweat-soaked bodies as they screw, to the same romantic music that plays whenever Danny and Lacey are to- together. Was I the only one who found that disturbing? No. Mm.
4: I didn't notice it. Yeah, I really didn't either until you pointed it.
1: I was like, that's the Danny and Lacey music, and there's, my God, they were sweaty.
3: Yeah, it looked like someone had dumped a giant bucket of water on them.
1: I guess there's no central air in Nebraska, huh, Yaks?
3: Probably not.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of Danny, he's listening to his stupid ass father screwing from outside the bedroom door. Dad, sinning most vigorously, he says.
4: That was kind of creepy.
1: Thankfully, before we can see him masturbate to the sounds of lovemaking coming from the other side of the bedroom door, Danny hears voices outside. And when he sees flashlights in the cornfield, he decides to... He's not going to
4: go gonna do that with his dad?
1: Well, if he who wants to see weird shit orders him to, he would have.
4: No, man, that, that's what drove him to he who walks by in the rows. He's like, I got to get out of here.
1: I don't know, I just thought he lingered at that door a little long. Dad, sitting most vigorously, and he's like... I'm just going to chill out
2: here for
4: a minute. I know. The normal reaction would be like, yeah, I would think your first instinct in that moment would be like, oh, Ooh. Jesus. Uh, Put two corn cobs in your ears
1: and go to bed.
4: <laughs>
1: well, that was a close one. He gets out of there to see what's going on out in the corn. Uh, Danny finds Micah holding a torchlit gathering in the corn, where he slashes the palms of an older teenage Gatlin female and an older teenage Hemingford male, and he announces that in tomorrow night's ceremony, Gatlin and Hemingford will be joined forever. We will become one. And all the kids start chanting, We are one! We are one! As the two teens press their slash palms together. And Danny thinks, this is kind of weird.
4: I, I, I've seen pictures of a cult. This is a cult. You guys are a cult. You don't think they did that shit in Long Island?
1: No... But Micah spots him, and he calls him to come over. This is Danny; he too has found problems among them. Will you be a soldier for he who walks behind the rows? What else is he going to say? He's surrounded by creepy kids and torches. Yeah, all right, what the fuck I'll do it I guess
4: I that, that was my that was my uh mental verbiage when I was watching this. uh okay If it means you'll let me go, I guess the only thing what was- am I, what am I supposed to say? no. She, 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 she. Yeah.
1: It's either this or go back to the hotel and listen to my fucking dad screw the innkeeper. I, yeah, all right, I'll hang out with you guys for a while. Uh, you could tell, though, his heart isn't really into that. No, no, no. The next morning, Lacey takes Danny out for a moped ride to an old barn. They climb up top, and she tells them that she loves to come up here and look out upon the never-ending horizon of cornfields.
4: It's is a good Na-
1: imagining that one day I'll escape all this monotony. Danny sheepishly admits, I'm afraid of heights. It's kind of queasy up here in the barn. It's like the second story of a barn. It's... Well, in fact, he once barfed on the Statue of Liberty's dress. That's how scared of heights he is. So she helps him climb back down. Once they're back on terra firma, Lacey uh, tells him that if he can catch her, he can have her, and she runs off into the cornfield. Hey, All right. Oh, great. He's going to knock her up at 17 just like his dad did. This is history repeating itself, boys.
4: If you don't break the vicious cycle, the vicious cycle will break you.
1: He who walks behind the Jimmy Hats is not going to be pleased.
4: Of
2: course he's going to do it. He hasn't taken any notes either, just like his father. <laughs> so how would he know not to do this?
1: Look, son, you're an idiot just like me, and that's something you've got to wrap your head around. Fine, Dad, I'm an idiot. Yeah, you are. Okay, I am. You know what? I think they both are. I think uh...
2: You should be writing this down. You should be writing it down.
1: <laughs> Give me your tape recorder. I'm an idiot. Now play it back. I'm an idiot. He's talking about you. No, that was you talking about you. Look, when you watch these movies, you're here for the evil kids and he who walks by in the rose. Everything else is just ancillary. Uh, so he's off. He's chasing her. He's horny. He's 17. Fuck that shit. Cue the lighthearted romantic music and the chase is on. He finally wrestles her to the ground in a clearing. And right as he opens up her blouse, hands up in the air, boys. that your way ahead, doctor. <laughs> Son of a- uh, she discovers, she's like, there's something under my Ooh,
4: yes, there is. That's my thumb. <laughs> am I, am I the other one really disturbed by what Tut's doing over there? <laughs>
1: she, he reaches under her to pull it, whatever's bothering her out, and it's a severed hand under her body. Wah! Oops. And when they look around, they find all sorts of severed body parts. She reasons this must be all the undiscovered Gatlin victims, and they get the hell out of there.
4: Rightfully so. You might want to go tell somebody about
1: it. It'd this. be weird if Danny was like, Well, we're here. You want to do some freaky shit with these body parts?
4: <laughs> I mean, you know,
2: can we just like go like, you know, 15 feet in that direction and finish this?
1: Listen, he,
0: he,
1: he who doesn't get offended by much of anything, even he steps in like, Danny,
0: Danny. <laughs> Come
1: on. Not in my cornfield bow. On a nearby farm, Garrett and Dr. Redbear have discovered that last year's corn... Here's where I'm going to need one of you smarty pants to explain this to me. Last year's corn is still being kept in the barns, and it's covered with that green shit, aflatoxin and ergot mold. Tut, you're practically a scientist now. What is aflatoxin? Or, if you don't know that, you should at least know what an ergot mold is.
4: Yeah, so, I mean, it's quite quite elementary. I'm going to try to bust it down to to simple terms that you can understand. So basically, you take long chains of aflatoxin, polysaccharides, and then you inject water in between the monosaccharides to break these chains apart. And it's a breakdown of that lack of water that starts building up the aflatoxin.
1: Isn't that exactly how you explain the process when he got sucked into hell? Micah and the black things were... Didn't you use monosaccharides in that
4: thing, too? Yes. I mean, that's why all you know that the writers here are on top of their science game. Kid, it's all they tied all that in. What was that, Doctor? It's all
3: saccharides these days. Don't you know anything?
4: Uh, apparently. They gave it away. One of the actors on the street, one of the kid actors, is named Saccharitis. <laughs> Monosaccharitis? <laughs> I think that was
3: Zachariah. But, uh.
4: <laughs>
1: well, it's... But, but what's going on here with the old harvest mixed with the new harvest? Why didn't they sell the old corn and they're mixing it with the new... Like, what's going on they, here? They
4: couldn't, they couldn't sell the corn or it didn't sell. And so instead of trashing it, uh, they just left it. It's rotting. And now they're trying to mix it in with the new harvest. And
1: that green shit grows on old corn.
4: Yeah, that's the uh, that's the aflatoxin. That's actually a an interesting uh, little deal. Is that that was one of the theories of why the children of Salem went crazy is because of the the wheat toxins. But you know they got to get discounted.
1: Well, it is toxic as hell. Frank Redbear explains, and it's growing all over this corn. Worse yet, over time, as the winds, the strong Nebraska prairie winds blow it across the cornfields, it can cause madness and panic. Garrett, in a rare moment of clarity, his only one in the whole film, deducts that Doc Appleby, he knew this shit was going on. They're trying to blend in last year's harvest with this year's to sell it, and the results could be terrifying. Doctor Redbear also says that this green shit can cause hallucinations,
4: especially in children. Wait, Scott, Red Bear, one second, please. Doctor. Toxic. <laughs> corn. Okay.
1: Green shit, bad. Uh, uh, oh, wait. Entry number seven. I need to buy a new pair of Dockers. Start clipping J.C. JCPenney coupons when I get back home. Again... I like that the screenwriters are trying to come up some kind of purpose to the mayhem where there was none before. But I also kind of like the original where it's just, like the doctor said, it's just evil for evil's sake. And yeah. it's it's not that they got this weird shit, you know, just up their nose and made him go crazy. I, I like the supernatural element to it because ultimately there is a supernatural. We see he who walks behind the rows under the ground and doing weird shit. So it's these kids aren't hallucinating and tripping and making all this shit up. Yeah. So it kind of conflicts with what's actually going on here. You're you're adding explanation where you really don't have to.
3: I think it's more, and if it, if this was intended this way, then they deserve props for it. But yeah, I, I don't care for it at all. But I think it was more to show that many of the adults of the town of Hemingford were not sympathetic characters, and therefore deserve what they get. If that yeah. was intended, then it, it's worthwhile. Otherwise, it was unnecessary.
1: I think that might be the only good way to look at it. They're just, the, the maybe the adults are assholes.
4: Yeah.
1: I don't know if trying to sell old corn deserves you to, you know, get your fucking eyes gouged
4: out and your balls chopped off, but it, but it is bad. Upon you.
1: It is bad, I'm, you know. Well, before the two uh, crime fighters can race off to the sheriff for help, the sheriff pulls up in his squad car. And, oh, good. No, not good, Todd. He points his shotgun at them. This confirms it. Remember, the doc Appleby called him? He's in on this shit. He's up to his knees in this green uh, aflatoxin, if you will. Cut to downtown Hemingford, where Mrs. Burke's twin sister is being harassed by Micah and her crew. Micah has a toy car remote control, and he's using it to control her wheelchair. He leads her directly out into traffic. You little bastards! You bastards! where a semi-truck plows into her, sending her and her wheelchair soaring through the window of a local bingo parlor.
2: Probably one of my favorite scenes.
1: <laughs> it's one of my favorite scenes in any movie. Uh, Doctor and I have made fun of this scene for since we
0: saw it in the theater.
1: She, mainly because she goes through the window, and this old dude, covered in glass from the shattered window, stands up because right before she crashed...
3: That dude said his winning number, bingo, bingo. Right right before she comes flying through, first he stands up and he goes, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And
4: then she comes crashing through (laughs) on (laughs) him. Bingo? But
1: don't don't you think everyone in that bingo parlor, once the glass settled and everything, they saw who it was that smashed the window. It was like a collective sigh of relief, like, Oh thank god. They're both both sisters are dead now. We don't have to ever hear that fucking voice again.
2: But even then after that, here she is. Just glass still hasn't even the dust hasn't settled and he's like, "Oh. Bingo." Like, yeah, I'm telling let's, you. Let's get, hey, we we better get with this. Let me get let me give him a prize. The kids did
1: this town a favor when it comes to the Burke
2: sisters.
4: I'm just saying small town old folk take their bingo seriously, man.
1: Apparently Have you guys ever played bingo as an adult?
4: Not as an adult. No. no. Four for four.
1: For four. Good, good answers. Good answers. Back at the bed and breakfast, Danny is talking to Lacey on the phone. She says something about all the adults being called to a town meeting before the phone line cut is cut and Micah appears behind him. It's time, Danny. The soldiers of the Lord are ready to march. That doesn't sound good. Is it just me, or is every time Mike opens his mouth at this point, he just sounds like he's reciting really bad striper lyrics?
4: <laughs> the soldiers of the Lord are ready to march! March! Maybe
2: you got some of those little striper gloves with the little
4: <laughs> fringe on I was about to say the forearm, the yellow and black. There you go. A little bumblebee. Oh, head
3: head the thing. hand of he who walks behind the rose.
2: Maybe the Tuesday night of the the cigar. with the Lord! Um, which which load are we talking about here? uh I gotta go. I think once this
1: whole uh, coronavirus thing is 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 gone, the first thing as a group, the TNCC should do, we should go to a striper concert and get some religion in us.
2: I think they're all dead at this point.
1: Oh, are they? No, they're still around.
2: Oh, okay. That was coping to do anything to avoid going to a striper concert. But hey, <laughs> I did what I could.
1: Back out in the cornfield, Sheriff Blaine is tying up Red Bear and Garrett with some rope. It's a good bad guy. You don't just kill him. you you got to do a cinematic death scene. He explains that, yes, Doc, Doc Appleby and some others were in on this, but by bribing the right folks with the government, They'll only test the good parts of the corn for sale. You see, he says, the government is changing their standards to help the economy, so why can't we? As he ties them up, they're like, why don't you just kill us? You know, Red Bear's like, why don't you just get it over with? Please. Stuck (laughs) tied up together. So
2: tired of dealing with you people.
1: Uh, Well, because the only good Indian's a dead Indian, the guy says. Well, at least in some other people's eyes. He's killing a guy, but I'm not a racist. I don't want, when you die, thinking I'm a racist. Uh, well, like I said, Red Bear asked Blaine, you know, just shoot me in the head, please, but Blaine explains, I'd actually have to explain that, and this way your death will be another unexplained mystery in this town, of a thousand unexplained mysteries, and
3: I'll be Here's just...
2: Blaine. How is he going to have to explain it? The doctor, the medical professional who does the, the autopsies... Fills out the reports. He could shoot him. What was it? Uh, tractor accident.
1: Done. Yeah, but he's dead. Doc Appleby is dead.
2: Well, I know, but he already knew that. So he's already got all the stuff. I mean, he everybody's connected in the town. They gonna, who's going to question it?
3: It's a very Scooby-Doo type of death. He could have just plugged him with a shotgun. Yeah. Uh, or
1: I'd say the last five minutes of any uh, 1960s Batman episode kind of death.
3: Uh
4: to your,
1: to your point, uh you, you raised some good questions there, uh Yakboy. I will just say this.
3: Katsi. Okay. Not
4: really
2: a good answer, but hey. Isn't that guys-
3: one of those hipster sodas that you can get at a Torchy's Tacos?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> right next to the uh Mr. T. Like rather rather than a Coke, it's a Katsi.
1: I'll take some vegan queso uh with some nothing chips and a you know what? Give me a medium Koyaaniscazzi. No Cut. ice. No Cut. ice. Oh.
3: <coughs> actually, I've been trying the new Koyaaniscazzi Zero, and I find it quite good. It sounds delicious.
4: Wait a minute. Is that the one without the corn syrup? I don't want any of that.
1: No, it's actually without the Koyaaniscazzi. <laughs> oh, it's, it's,
2: it's, it's just an empty bottle. It's
4: just a
3: cup of oxygen. <laughs>
2: Well,
1: the perfect plan is going perfectly until, of course, Sheriff Blaine heads off early to attend the town hall meeting to address the concerns about our lovely children. Leaving Garrett and Redbear, he just had to stick around for five minutes to make, see this thing work. Leaving Garrett and Redbear, ample time to break free of their restraints and avoid being chopped to bits by the enormous piece of farm equipment that was supposed to chew them up. And bad guys always leave too early. Yeah, boy, what is that giant thing that's driving towards them? A combine. combine, A corn husker.
4: Combine. A
1: combine.
2: Combine. It is, yes, there to harvest corn. The stalks get up, strips off the ears of corn, throws that into the bin, shreds everything else, and spits it
4: out the back. I think combines are great horror machinery. Oh, they are.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it looks really good. And that, isn't that crazy that you trust a big machine like that with your entire crop to not like actually eat up the corn? Like if it if it did something wrong, you. would Mankind's created some cool shit over the years. Combine being one of them. TNCC is pro combine.
4: I like combines. Combines are pretty fancy nowadays. You like the
1: NFL combine.
4: I think nah. that's,
1: a, that's a different thing. So does that just pick up the players and s- spit them, them? them
4: Yeah, shakes them and then like throws them out there. Tears their clothes off. Like How does that work?
1: We'll talk after the show about that one. Over at the bed and breakfast, Mordecai and some others kidnap Angela for the big sacrifice they have planned for that evening. That tracks, as not only is she older than 18, so she needs to die... We did see her sinning most vigorously with Garrett. So that's double whammy. She's old and she's fornicating. They don't like that kind of stuff.
4: See, that only goes to show you, don't be nice. Don't adopt a kid that might have potentially killed an entire town.
1: Yeah, but I think think we encourage adopting kids that don't do that.
4: Yeah, I mean, you you do want to do some vetting. But, you know, if there's a chance that they might have been involved in an entire town slaying, you might want to pass on that one. Yeah. Agreed. That's uh, wisdom.
1: I'm bringing anyone into my home. Um, I'm going to do a little vetting.
3: (laughs) Well,
1: I'm glad you asked. Turns out, uh, you know, Jebediah poisoned his parents' coffee and then, you know, chopped off his dad's penis and shoved it in his dad's mouth. Okay, you know what?
2: Uh,
4: Jebediah can go somewhere else. Uh, <laughs> now, now, every kid needs a t- home. Every kid needs a chance, a second chance. Uh,
1: that's true. But Jebediah and, and Mordecai both look like they were easily, you know, they're about ready to graduate, I think. They'll be all right. Good to Garrett and Red Bear as they come across the Channel 12 news team. Remember those guys? They come across their dead and bo- rotting bodies in the cornfield. All right. Now you level with me and you tell me what the fuck is going on here, Garrett demands. He's been doing that the entire show. Told you everything at every turn. So he gives him some more wisdom. Einstein was right, the doctor says. We We didn't evolve out of random chance. There's a higher power controlling all of this. My ancestors believed in a spirit, a spirit of the earth, a God who seeks revenge for the wrongs done to the earth. This is what's happening. Ah, bullshit. <laughs> That's your—that's your what, answer.
4: You That's what, your I'm, answer? Just gonna, I'm just gonna stop—stop stop giving you answers. I'm That's just...
1: your answer that God did this, that God's pissed. You got a better one, Doctor? That's what Frank Redbear finally says. All right, genius, you tell me what's going on here. I think—I think at this point you're right, Todd. He quits answering any of Garrett's questions.
2: You know, God out there. Just four or five kids. What's the
1: air coy term for total douchebag?
3: <laughs> Koyana
1: sloppy. Koyana sloppy? Koyana sloppy. <clears throat> What's that mean, asshole? You. <laughs> well, the townsfolk have gathered at the church to discuss the children, and just as the Reverend and the Sheriff have reassured them that there's nothing wrong with the children, Those children show up outside the church and douse it with gasoline and set it on fire. Remember Reverend Hollings, who just moments ago was encouraging everyone to adopt the kids and accept them in their homes with their full hearts? Well, once those kids light that fucker up with their sparklers, he changes his tune. Those little bastards! Those little
4: shits! He goes crazy. Oh, man.
1: So the children of the corn wipe out the entire town of Hemingford in one clean swoop.
4: They are
3: efficient, and you know it's not only do they get the reverend, they get the sheriff, but they get the guy that won at bingo.
1: Oh, so he really lost.
3: Yeah, he tries to break one of the windows, and, and the fire comes up. He's he's.
1: Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that they actually brought that actor into the scene. That,
3: that guy, that that guy that won bingo, is in the in the town meeting.
1: Oh, how cool is that? All right. So all the adults are dead.
4: Good Out riddance. With...
1: Good riddance indeed. Adult. TNCC is anti-adult, correct?
4: I try not to act like one.
1: I hate them, and I do my best not to adult any more than I have to. Out... Doctor did not read. He likes adults.
3: Uh, well, we are adults, so. Yeah. You're only as young as you're only as old as you feel. Uh, that's, that's that's true i believe in that but uh unfortunately we are adults so i don't hate myself i don't hate you guys i hate i i do hate when i have to behave in an adult manner but unfortunately that's most of the business day well portions of the business day well it you keeps-
1: <laughs> There's some times where I have to say some things. and On you know. the cornfields, uh, Micah tells his troop that the burning church is the funeral pyre of those that have poisoned our world. All the adults are gone. He then orders Danny to take charge with the first round of sacrifices for he who walks behind the rose. Yep. Micah has captured both Angela and the beautiful Lacey. uh uh-uh. And he commands Danny to first cut out Lacey's tongue. Oh, man, he loved that tongue in his mouth. And then her heart, for she is the first to be sacrificed to he who walks by in the rose no. Each each drop of their blood shall nourish the seeds of new life. Let the new harvest begin.
2: We are one. We are one.
4: Uh, I'm out. I, I don't want to be part of your cult no more.
1: So at this point, Ty even though they're going to kill you, you would not do what you had to do to. You, you I would
4: like to think that if I was in young Danny's position, that I'd go down swinging. Now, I don't know. I might go down screaming like a little girl through the cornfields. That's probably what's going to happen.
1: Oh, I thought you meant go down swinging, like chopping Lacey's head
0: off.
4: <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm with Todd.
3: I wouldn't, I wouldn't have killed Lacey. It's fifty-fifty on whether I would have been a hero and tried to cut her free and run off with her, or whether I would have just take off and fled like a bitch. I'm not just—it could have gone either way. I'd li- like, like Tut, I'd like to think I would have thought, "Man, I'm gonna do the right thing," and she's hot, so I'm gonna cut her free. But the, the, uh, there's also the possibility that 17-year-old Doc just says, "Fuck this, man! Deuces, I'm out!" <laughs>
4: i got to get back to Long Island.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'd be like, I need to drink some Long Islands.
4: Taking the short (laughs) route back to Long Island.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, that's not how this plays out at all. Garrett and Red Bear break up the party with their giant motorized combine, and in the confusion, Danny cuts Lacey loose and they take off running. So he does run off like a bitch, but he takes her with him.
3: So Garrett,
1: Garrett jumps out and starts to fight the children. Finally, something he can get into. Punching Even kids. Kids.
2: <laughs> Even kids. I, a 45-year-old overweight, out of work. report I mean, Excuse me, 35-year-old
4: overweight. Here's,
2: some,
4: here's something I know a little bit about. Come here, you shit. Let me punch some small children. He's picturing
1: Danny's face on every single one of them.
4: <laughs> this is why your mom left us.
1: <laughs> uh, when he starts punching these kids Mordecai throws a corn spear at Garrett and to his shock and amazement Garrett catches it and throws it right back at him driving it all the way clean through Mordecai's body Did
3: Jack Burton
2: how does Garrett have Jack Burton
4: reflexes it's all in the reflexes
1: a little fucker shoots Red Bear with a bow and arrow, killing him. Which is sad, as he was, as we said, the only likable character in the entire film.
4: And of course, he's shot him with a bow and arrow. I mean, yeah, come on.
1: That's kind of, yeah. Again, in
3: 1992. <sighs> That'd be
1: funny if, if Red Bear was like,
3: yeah. dude, Red Bear's like, remember me as a bad stereotype.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
3: remember me. Is the only native American actor who would take a paycheck for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Garrett then runs off too. He's had enough. He's getting out of there. And Micah shouts at the children to kill them, or we all shall suffer the consequences of he who walks behind the rose. They chase Garrett, Angela, Danny, and Lacey through the corn, and they're also joined by he who walks behind the corn, or he who walks behind the rose. We see the dirt bubble rise as the the demon under the ground starts chasing him.
4: I really do like that effect. That scared the crap out of me in the first one. I wish they would have utilized it a bit more.
1: Yeah, I like it too. Um, it lets you know that it's, like I said, these kids aren't tripping. There's actually a, an entity involved in this whole thing. Yeah. Eventually they all, because it's a essentially a corn maze, because that's what he who walks behind the rows wants it to be, he controls the corn. He leads everyone back to that sacrificial clearing. You can't escape a good corn maze, boys.
2: Yeah. We're in one now.
1: Or as the uh Spanish old timers would call a corn maze a maze maze. Uh,
3: the I the, wish he'd shut his maze hole.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I'm amazing. These not- jokes are too mazy. <laughs> The evil children surround
1: our four heroes with spears and knives. It was foolish for them to think they could escape he who walks behind the rose. Again, Garrett, at one point he actually grabs his camera so it doesn't fall off him, but he he doesn't take any pictures of this. How cool cool would that be on the cover of the tabloid,
4: these kids with knives and spears? I'm surprised he didn't look over at Jedediah and go, what's going on here? You tell me right now what's happening here.
1: We're going to kill you. Oh, that's bullshit.
2: But right I do actually believe that. Do you? My <laughs> but
1: right before Micah can raise his machete and sacrifice them all to he who walks behind the rose, Dr. Frank fucking Red Bear comes to at the helm of the giant combine, shifts it in the drive with his last breath. Okay, he slumps over. He's really dead this time. But the machine moves forward, chewing up Micah, but not before he's exposed in his demon form, and then he goes back. To his innocent kid form, like he's not possessed anymore, and he's like, "Help me!" He's just a poor little kid, a poor little kid that gets fucking shredded to pieces.
2: Well, the only thing I can say with you know these scenes is literally like a combine can't sneak up on anybody. It is <laughs> no, literally no, like
1: no, it, did, it, it didn't sneak up. They actually thought it was he who walks behind the rows when they saw the the corn. Well, being I know,
2: cooked, but it's like the lights and the. It's incredibly noisy. It's, it's like, loud. you know, it's coming like literally half a mile away.
1: Question: it Maybe
2: it's a combo. I mean, but they're not, you know, like super fast moving. Like, you're going to hear it.
4: It's going to be like, what could it be?
1: You're saying Micah could have easily just stepped to the side and it missed it.
4: Well, yes. at least like four steps. Well, maybe he was getting his Just
3: Desserts for kissing those girls and listening to those Warren albums.
4: Yeah. He wants you too, Jedediah.
1: He wants you too, Jenny Lane. Cody, have you ever driven a combine?
2: No. I have ridden in one.
1: Hmm. Alright, then I'll I'll accept your testimony as far as the...
4: I was going to call... I was going to... That's bullshit.
3: You're going to turn into John Garrett? That's bullshit, Cody.
4: Cody, what's going on here? I just told you. That's bullshit.
1: Well, Kate, actually, there's something that's really special to my culture in the Czech community. Oh, you mean weird?
4: (laughs) No, I mean agrarian.
1: If I don't understand something, it's stupid.
4: Don't give me a bunch of shit, Tuttle. It's really
1: baffling to me how it didn't work out for this guy at Newsweek.
3: <laughs> or anywhere. <laughs> or anywhere in life. in his life.
2: I mean, uh,
3: I have communication I problems. I wasn't going just, to any interview.
1: How about just be as honest with Danny? Look, kid. Turns out your mom thought I was a dumbass. I wanted to. I wanted to stay with her. I couldn't put two sentences together. She. She thought I might have had some special needs issues. I'm just a big idiot, okay? I couldn't take care of you by law because I can't take care of myself. I have handlers that come by my apartment three times a week to make sure I have groceries and pay my bills. I'm an idiot, son. Now, you wrap your head around that.
4: <laughs> you wrap your head around that. <laughs> Damn.
1: So my, da- my dad's special. And he got laid before me in this movie. Well, Maybe. Dude, Angelo's over there like, wait a minute, what? You have someone to pay your bills for you? (laughs) (laughs) What was that about your handlers? Don't worry about it, baby. (laughs) All right, well, all hell suddenly breaks loose with the worst thunder and the blue lightning that we saw earlier, the church choir chanting, the children singing and giggling, not the actual children in the scene, but the sound design. Everyone else scatters around like geckos when the light turns on. A gas leak in the corn shredder, or the combine of all things, causes the whole clearing to explode. I'm going to call weak sauce on this. In the original film, they, uh, Peter Horton, Burton Vicki, they found a Bible passage that the sheriff had left behind, where he was planning to hook up gasoline or gasohol to the irrigation system and soak. They show the irrigation soaking the fields in gasoline to create this giant fire. Here, it's just a gas leak in the stupid corn shredder, and it blows up. Come on.
2: Well, also, it is a cornfield. It is a dry cornfield ready for harvest. You don't even really need gasoline. You just need a match. Anything, to, a spark would do it. And the entire field in every direction would just go up and burn.
4: Not fast enough. I want a big mushroom cloud. I, d- I demand a mushroom cloud. We
1: got You got your mushroom cloud. I, I believe you, you did get a mushroom cloud.
4: The a next morning would
2: we'll be like, we need some sort of explosive. Well, you could just use this match. Bullshit!
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: Here's exactly how to end this movie. Oh, bullshit! The next morning at Daybreak, we see Garrett and his son Danny putting Dr. Frank Redbear in a funeral pyre of corn husks and sending his body ceremoniously on fire. I hope Dr. Frank Redbear didn't have a wife and kids that might've wanted to have a part in this. How about you take him to the university and drop him, like push him out of the truck onto the sidewalk at least.
4: This is his wishes. This is what he wanted.
1: I knew, I knew Frank, this is what he would want.
4: You know, he was always talking about this weird ceremony. We spend a lot of time together.
1: Oh, maybe take him down to that rock that meant so much to him? Nah, we're here. Just set him on fire right here. Oh, and again, Mr. Pulitzer Prize takes no pictures of any of this.
3: Excuse me. I'm looking for my husband, Dr. Redbear. A
1: Bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) Look, lady, I don't want you causing any trouble. If I keep going on the path I am, next week they're going to start letting me use knives at the dinner table. That's a big step for me. Now, you wrap your head around that any way you can. 35 years, I've only been spoons and forks. I'm about to get a butter knife. I'm not going to let you screw it up for me.
4: I like how we've turned Garrett into just a... I don't think we turned him into this. I think you kind of did. He
2: was already this way.
4: No, I think they wrote him this way.
1: It was an easy... A, B, C, D. It was an easy tradition to follow for me. (laughs) Danny asked Lacey if she meant what she said. Before he was about to kill her and chop her tongue out, she told him she loved him. And she says, well, you know, I would have said anything to get out of that sticky situation. But we'll talk about it once we're in New York. She's going to ditch him for Derek Jeter the minute they get there. As they all climb into Angela's convertible Mustang, which is conveniently parked in the middle of the cornfield, it's just waiting for them with the engine running. Angela I asks.
2: we make sure that the funeral pyre burns all the way down and <laughs> there isn't like a corpse left? No. No,
4: nah, bring that car right on up here, honey. You hear Frank Redbear?
2: I'm
1: not
3: dead. What was that, Garrett? There's nothing. There's still a chance to save me. Let's get out of here. Mission. Oh, shit.
1: It was that mold stuff that burned my pair of Dockers. I still got to go by JCPenney and get a new pair. My helper takes me to JCPenney once every two weeks. She says, Angela asks Garrett, what do we do about the children? To which Garrett replies, we tell their story and we let the healing begin. Then he looks to Danny. It's not too late for that, is it? And Danny says, no. It's not too late for that at all. You're all right, Dad, as they drive off. The end. Well, it would be the end. But there's a super fucking cheesy epilogue where we see Dr. Frank Redbear's spirit ghost dressed in a Halloween store Indian outfit uh, with some costume writing all over it. He goes to the mystic boulder down the creek. Through the smoke, oh, it's so corny. Uh, I guess, despite the unceremonious death of you know these white people burning them a lot, you know, <laughs> he got he's on to the afterlife, I guess. Uh, that is the end. That is the end. Um, I'll say this, as far as the ending goes, little kids were pushed to the ground, and that stopped there apocalyptic crusade like these kids were hell-bent on killing everybody one shove into the dirt and they're like holding their knee and all right we're done <laughs> We'll stop we'll stop being evil now but man i just can't get over pretty good production values pretty good kills that combine having a gas leak that's just weak sauce to end the movie on on
3: that um right am i the only that one doesn't is bother me i think you're over you're overthinking children of the corn too that's my opinion
4: could be it could uh, be
3: that, that never really bothered me i mean this is a movie that it's does it get the right look does it get the right feel uh nitpicking any parts of the script and stuff like that i mean yeah it's fun it's what we're going to do but the main overall thing is what did this movie look like how did it feel did it do what it accomplished to do and in my opinion it did you know it's i that,
2: love
1: it I, it's one of my favorite horror sequels as far as the you know the big franchise series uh and as, like we mentioned earlier, at this point, it is a franchise. Yeah. We still we still get one of these every two or three years. Um. Yeah. It's it's my favorite of the of the show in the corn bunch. And uh. Yeah. This was fun talking about. It. I uh. I I don't imagine we'll revisit with all the other movies out there. I don't imagine we'll ever revisit He Who Walks Behind the Rose. But uh. I'm glad I'm glad we did this one. It was fun. Yeah.
4: Who knows? Yeah, I might actually uh, revisit the original and revisit the sci-fi one. Those, on, my own, on my own time.
1: Those were, uh, like I said, I revisited the original in preparation for this one. And uh, yeah, that sci-fi one had some really cool stuff going for it.
4: Those would be
3: uh, the way to go. I would say that God bless them for cranking them all out the way they did. But I would say all those direct-to-video sequels that, came, that followed Children of the Corn 2 are just just not worth it.
4: Yeah.
1: yeah. And what sucks is I really want to... That one where Isaac from the original film... Uh, what's his John Franklin? Is that his name? Where he comes back. I've actually seen it at least twice because I'm like, oh, man, bringing Isaac back, that's got to be... But because we're us, both times I was drinking. <laughs> so the first time I was drinking, I watched it, and then... I didn't really remember too much about it. So then, like a couple of years later, I'm like, oh, you know, I know I watched that, but i will watch that again. Gotta have a few drinks. I still can't tell you anything about that goddamn movie, but I can tell you, I, after two viewings, even drinking, it was bad.
3: Yeah, I feel like I've had the same experience. I think it had more to do with just it being a bad, confusing movie rather than yeah binge drinking being involved. <laughs> um,
4: Well,
1: boys, that was fun. Real quick, before we let you guys go, uh, we will be back in two weeks with another entry into our horrific, spooktacular drinking extravaganza, March to Halloween. Uh, We will not this year be doing a Friday the 13th movie. We've already done one this year, I believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think we did part four earlier. I think so. But but I got some shit in the mail today that I just have to... uh...
4: Uh Uh-oh, what'd you get?
1: I got my birthday present Tut. Oh. Screen Factory has released the ultimate Friday the thirteenth remastered Blu-ray collection. This thing is
4: beautiful. Oh my goodness.
1: All twelve nice. films. All twelve films remastered from the original all the way to the remake. Um Uh, several years ago. It has part two in its uncut glory, which no one has ever seen in, shit, almost 40 years. Um, It's a beautiful, beautiful, massive box, which I start digging into uh, this weekend. And then on top of this, Mother Scratcher, I don't know if it'll show you. If you're not watching us on YouTube, you should probably tune in there now.
4: It also came... With this beautiful
1: 40th anniversary...
4: Oh, man. Look at that. uh, Oh, that's good. Poster. I like it. I mean, the colors are gorgeous,
1: but that alone, you might have nowhere to... Because I'm not in college anymore, I have nowhere to hang this shit. (laughs) Uh, But this lithograph... Featuring all of the Jasons. Nice. Dude, I like dude, it. Dude,
2: it is... Man, I'll just
1: keep it on this side of the mic. It is gorgeous. And this will be going up in the corner of No Hope somewhere. Ooh. It is... It features everyone from Jason, X, in Space to 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. Uh, it's just... They really went all out with this, this set. And... I have not watched the early Friday 13ths in years and I'm really looking forward to it's gonna be my my personal goal. My personal march to Halloween. I'm gonna watch every single <clears throat> excuse me. Friday thirteenth film from one <clears throat> to remake
3: and I'm excited.
4: That's a good haul right there. That's a good haul.
3: That actually, was I'm not going to the movies because they're actually Playing at the movie theater, uh, part one, because it's the 40th anniversary.
1: I'm, I can't remember, Doctor, the last time I actually watched part one.
3: Man, me uh, either.
1: But I'm, I'm, I'm really pumped. It's a, it was a, a beautiful presentation. The, the case it all came in, and uh, man, I'm gonna dig in this weekend. I'm just gonna start. Tearing through these things. It's my second favorite uh franchise after my beloved Halloween franchise. I, I love me some Jason Voorhees. And uh to me those are the two at the on the Mount Rushmore of horror icons, you got Michael, you got Jason. Everyone else is kind of a distant. I've never been a big Freddy guy. I like me some Leatherface, but my God, after the first one, those movies never really did anything. Um as far as just longevity and consistent uh, <laughs> results, Michael and Jason are – it's hard to put anyone else up there with them. So, uh, yeah, i
4: really,
1: really, really pumped. Uh, and you should go back and, if you did, missed it, you should go back and watch our Friday 13th Part 4 or
3: – We did five, our, didn't we? we did
1: part I'm sorry, five. our five. Our part five. And then in the past, I think we've also done Part 8. I think those are the only two we've done.
3: Yeah.
1: Um, Jason Takes Manhattan. So uh, go back and check those out. We'll be back in two weeks with another uh, horror film for you. Tut, why don't you give us some
4: spooktacular links? all right hold on to your britches because if you join us at tncc cast on twitter or you go over to see all the spooktacular photos on instagram at tncc underscore podcast and to get all the thrills and the chills subscribe to us at youtube uh, tuesday night cigar club you can find us on facebook tuesday night cigar club uh if you want to buy some halloween candy go to uh uh go to the website whose Night cigar club.com click on the banner uh, do your shop the amazon.com banner there and uh, do your shop from there doesn't cost you anything and you know it helps keep us to keep the lights on around here uh and also if you want to get yourself some spooktacular treats then go to the com website click on the famous smoke shop banner it'll automatically put in a very spooky code tncc20 through your shopping from there and if you spend a 100 bucks then you get 20 bucks off that's 20 percent
1: that is a horrifying discount ah oh. And I noticed that the doctor did not hold on to his britches when you started giving those links.
4: He's not wearing any. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta wear them to hold them. <laughs>
1: well played, sir. Well played. Thanks, everybody. I uh, hope everyone is staying safe. Uh, probably we'll have two more of these. That's the goal right. before uh, before Halloween. Um, it's our favorite little stretch of show, so I want to Squeeze him in there while we can. Um, and I promise by next episode, we'll squeeze the doctor into a pair of pants. I promise.
2: Uh, I a, I no <laughs> Bullshit.
3: Bullshit.
1: <laughs> He's not wearing pants. Get him into a pair of those Garrett doctor, Dockers. Uh, and by the way, if you have a doctor who wears Dockers, get a different doctor. That's my wisdom. That's my Frank Redbear wisdom of the night. Okay. If you're in a doctor's office and your doctor's wearing dockers, go to a different docker.
3: Dockers Do- happen doctor. to be in a high quality, expensive uh, dress pant.
4: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what your hate on dockers are for.
3: He could have gone a lot worse. He could have had like some generic different type of of a uh, business casual pants on. In fact I think he probably did.
1: The Dickies slacks? I can respect a man who wears Dickies. Not the slacks, though.
3: Dockers are actually very pricey pants. You have to go to like a Macy's to get you some Dockers.
1: Oh, no, Doctor. They're a JCPenney.
3: They, they, they cost you a bit. We'll continue this discussion. Doc, if you're thinking Dockers are like $19.99 for a pair of slacks, then you're thinking wrong.
1: Well, Doctor, we're going to continue this discussion off the air.
3: I don't want any trouble. You got it,
4: pal. Just push, I, just, I, I just saw the corn. I just saw the corn. On, let me get out my tape recorder.
3: I saw the corn.
1: Doctor. Doctor wears Dockers. J.C. Penny. Cool. Do we... Tut Sneezy.
3: I have some Dockers. Corn. However, I purchased mine for about $40 to $50 a pair at a Macy's store. Maybe I got robbed, but... They were considered a high-quality business casual uh, pair of pants. Yeah.
1: they could be. I, I I could be out of out of the. I could be out
3: of touch here. I could
1: I could be out of touch. That's that's actually you very
2: know, possible. You
3: sure threw that dick on the table. Oh, they sold the pennies.
4: <laughs> you, you were ready to go to war on on your Dockers. <laughs> This is my heel. I will make my stand here.
1: And I'm not gonna buy. You know what? I'm, I'm gonna say you got bamboozled with those $60 Dockers.
3: I said 40 to 50, but that was a long time ago because I haven't worn Dockers for some time, obviously.
1: Um, well, let's just all agree that no one in the TNCC is wearing them anymore, so we can just move on.
4: I can't make that. Can't make that a. You're wearing Dockers, Todd? That... No. But I can't say that I will never wear Dockers. Uh, Sometimes you just need to be as business casual.
1: Yak boy, I didn't see this going here. Are do you have do you own Dockers? I do. not I do
4: not. Okay. You and
3: I,
1: are, you and I are the only ones apparently.
3: Well, some people are required occasionally to.
1: I'm not saying I don't wear dress pants, and I guess I'm not. I didn't realize I had these feelings about Dockers, and I want to apologize to anyone out there wearing Dockers listening to the podcast. If you're in your, if you're in your car and you made it through three hours of of the Corn Two, and you're like, "Man, that was a great show, boys. I love this." Oh wait, talk oh, shit about my pants. I'm sorry.
3: I love these pants.
1: I love these pants. I love my Dockers. I like it when I like it when the manufacturer puts the crease in it for me. I don't have to worry about doing that
4: myself. It's just it's there. And have a
3: flat front option where you don't have to wear creased pants.
4: That's <laughs> right, that's right.
3: There's also some wrinkle free.
4: I love the wrinkle free. I bet they have lots, lots of. Let's
3: go ahead and stand my ground. You don't know what you're talking about. Doppers <laughs> are a high quality business casual wear. Bullshit. <laughs>
1: What about those commercials where the guys are just talking about their Dockers and just loving their Dockers, and they if you're just...
3: Some kind of sap who, if you're some kind of sap who sits around and believes that what happens in commercials is a representation of real life, you—that <coughs> says more about the viewer than reality.
1: Doctor, that was a Seinfeld reference. He gets into an argument with this girl he's dating because he makes fun of a Dockers commercial, and she knows guys like that—the guys in the Dockers commercial—and she gets really offended that he's making fun of the Dockers commercial. And they break up over a Dockers commercial. And I only brought that up because I was watching. By the way, that-
4: ladies and gentlemen, this is the uh, last episode of the Tuesday Night Cigar Club. Yeah, you know what? It's all it's, the whole shit house is burning down in flames
1: because of fucking Dockers. This is what this is what tears us apart. <laughs> a pair of slacks, if you can call them that, comfortable slacks. <laughs> I love you guys, and uh, for God's sake, wear whatever business casual attire you want. I don't, I don't give a shit. Uh, to each their own. We don't judge here at the corner No Hope. We just hope you enjoy what we do, and uh, hopefully you had a good time tonight. So we'll see you again in two weeks. Um, you still got plenty of time to get out there. Or actually, you don't. Uh, this week was the deadline to register to vote. So hope you got out there and did it. Hope you uh, will go out there and do it. Uh, more on that later Uh, but in the meantime hang in there and we will see you in two weeks may the wings of liberty never lose a feather sayonara cornholes
0: we are one we are one To learn more about the time back in my early college days at Hemingford Technical Institute, when he who walks behind the rows slipped yours truly some really funky corn whiskey at a frat party and in a transparent attempt to get a glimpse of he who lives in my underpants. But thankfully, that jerk was thwarted by she who knew exactly what was in my underpants. And just like that, she swept me up in her arms and carried me away to safety. Thanks, Timmy, I owe you one, big mama. Anywho... To learn more about the cigars enjoyed on tonight's episode, you can visit www.arturofuente.com. We are one. We are one. For more on O'Brien's Irish Pub, the live music leader in Central Texas, please visit O'Brienstemple.com and download their free smartphone app, where you'll find full beer listings including over 40 on tap, menu information, and a calendar of upcoming live events. To listen and purchase music heard on tonight's program, check out www.fritzbeermusic.com. Thank you for listening to the Tuesday Night Cigar Club Podcast. This is Keith A. Howell saying, until next time, friends, unless we see you sooner at the pub. So keep it smoky, and for God's sake, keep it ballsy as well. I get up, go to work, get drunk, go to sleep. I get up, go to work, get drunk, go to sleep.